when there's no more room in hell. The dead will start a podcast. everybody welcome to no more room in hell number 39 we are on halloween eve some people call it devil's night some people call it hollow's eve i don't know there's so many different names for it but it's the day before halloween so we're gonna try to make this episode quick and easy for our sakes i mean the listeners it probably doesn't mean much to you because by the time you're hearing this it'll probably be after halloween actually i can guarantee it'll be after halloween but for us we probably have fun plans to get to. So uh, let me introduce my co-hosts. As always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How are you? Greetings and salutation, witchy witches. Uh, I'm doing pretty good, Mike. And before we actually get into this episode, uh, I, I want to just give a fair warning to all of the listeners. It is October 30th, as Mike has already said. It is Devil's Night. This this weekend is my Christmas I have been drinking most of the day. I have been smoking most of the day. So you are going to get a slightly different venom than you usually get. My words might slur a little bit. I might go off on tangents that have nothing to do with the topic of conversation. Or, hey, I might even fall asleep outright. So fair warning, folks. You're not getting the normal Mr. Venom you're usually used to here. Um, I'm probably going to get really insulty. And uh, as soon as Mike pisses me off, I'm just going to blow up. So uh, <laughs> so here's to Drunk Venom, and you, you've all had your warning. Mike, how the hell are you? <laughs> so, in other words, it's either going to be an extra venomous venom or zero venom, just depending on where uh, the substances take you on I the journey. Be, on this I episode. tend to be a happy drunk, so... It'll it'll probably be uh you know less pissy venom and and the movies this week are pretty good too so I have no real reason to be that upset like I said it's the day before Christmas for me I'm happy <laughs> <laughs> cool well uh then I will introduce our other fellow co-host as always it's Derek what's up Derek hey what's going on <laughs> I'm here and I'm square. <laughs> I don't know. Right. I, I I tried to go with that, but I fucked up halfway. And what I was thinking I was going to say, but uh, I'm doing good, Mike. You know, uh, 31 days of horror is doing great. I got to record my last video, and that will be done. Uh, thank God. But uh, no, I actually enjoyed it this year. Last year was fucking horrible because I did all that 2005 prep for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's been fun. I've been watching a lot of comfort food movies. Like I did the Monster Squad for Day Thirty, so yeah, doing good there. You know, Wolfman's Ooh. got nards. Scary German guys yeah. bitching. <laughs> <laughs> Are you officially enjoying the uh, day shift switch at work? Yeah, you know, uh. It's kind of weird waking, you know, going in there at five and getting out of, I am besides 
today. Because Saturday was like the worst day to work. Not just because I decided, hey, because I usually just walk to the train station after the shift's over. But I was like, hey, there's a bus stop right there. Maybe I should wait for it. Biggest fucking mistake ever. Because starters, there was traffic all through the fucking parking lot. Mm-hmm. And then the bu- I just get on the first fucking bus that comes. And I take the bus that goes to another station that's like a 30-minute fucking drive. But it didn't even matter because it took us fucking almost a half an hour to get out of the fucking mall anyways. <laughs> so an hour later, hour and a half later, I get home. So I, yeah. I didn't get home until like 3 o'clock and I was kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to walk next time if it's like this. Yeah, you got to deal with crowds now when you have uh, weekends off and evenings off, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, so are you still doing the same stuff just during the day? No, no, no. I'm a head cashier now. I actually deal with, I'm like in the front lines ringing people up. In the, the front lines. Ask, <laughs> yeah, asking, did you get the 10% off on the, that pack of nails, damn it? <laughs> yes, sir. Your 40 yeah, cents has come off the total. Yeah, especially when they're veterans. I'm a veteran. Give me my 10% off. They, you know, here's my ID. Look at it. But, uh, Look you know, at it. You know and the, and, you know, we had a customer today who did, like, the promo where he got a buy one, get one free tool, and then fucking his fucking veteran promo wouldn't fucking work because you can't mix promos together. So that was a fucking hassle. It took us like three of us to fucking figure out how to fucking do it. <laughs> it was bad. Adventures yeah. at Home Depot. You know, but I, I do like, you know, it's it, it's good. You know, I actually, ironically enough, I smoke less. I, if the listeners didn't know, I'm kind of a smoker, but I'm I'm trying to cut back. And uh, I've been trying to the, do the vape here and there to try to get into it more and to get out of the cigarettes but uh yeah it's been going good so i've been smoking less with this new shift so that's good at least because i'm trying to quit that all together eventually and just do the vaping you know the other stuff keep that doing that (laughs) smoking's bad yeah (laughs) if you're at least with the other stuff there's a benefit to it (laughs) well you feel good after taking a nap marijuana's bad Okay, hey, remember when we the balloon? Hey, guys. <laughs> the, the wacky tobacco. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, man, October went by so, so fast. I, I It feels like it was like just a day or so ago that people were talking about their, you know, 31 for 31 plans and all this shit, and it's already about to be Halloween. It's just crazy, crazy, yeah. man. Yep, today is my 21st podcast of the month, and I am fucking tired, let me tell you. <laughs> I love oh, my horror shit. movies. I love, you know, just grinding through as many of them as I can. But goddamn, October is, it's tiring, and it goes by in a blink. So, yeah, totally yeah, you watch, Yeah, you watched all those 81 movies, too. You must be like, holy shit. I did, I did two fucking weeks of 1981 movies. I watched 22 1981 movies in two weeks 
Um, was not my intention going into October, but because of one of my other shows scheduling a show for right around the end of October, beginning of November, I needed to prep 1981 movies. So, yeah. So my 31 days of terror ended up being, you know, 21, 22 days of 1981 and then a few others here and there. So no complaints, mind you, because just about everything I watched from 81 was fucking great. Even the stuff that maybe is not considered like a classic, you know, something like a happy birthday to me. I'd still crack, crack open a couple of beers and watch happy birthday to me. It's still a fucking good time, despite how terrible it is. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, that's a good one. It's like a fun one to watch, yeah. Oh, hell yeah, I forgot about that shish kebab in the throat. That was awesome. In front of the fireplace, it was all sexy. <laughs> Venom's going to be one of those guys with those moose hats in the beginning of the movie. Hell yeah! I'm moving to Canada, boys. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Well, um, I guess at this point we'll kind of do what we've been watching to start off everything off. And uh, Venom, I'll kick it to you first. So what uh, have you watched? Well, um, went ahead and watched the literally the newest movie uh, in our genre just dropped yesterday, not counting the theatrical releases, which technically dropped on Thursday. But this movie dropped on Paramount Plus. It is not a theatrical release, even though all of the previous six chapters in the franchise were theatrical releases, making this, of course, Paranormal Activity Next of Kin. Uh, for a little while, it was called Paranormal Activity 7, but then they added the uh, the little subtitle there, which, you know, definitely does kind of coincide with the story a little bit. But did I like it? Hmm. Let me tell you, folks, I, I, I've had a love-hate relationship with the Paranormal Activity franchise. I absolutely adore the first three chapters, love every second of all of them. I have some minor issues with the end of three, but, I mean, when I say minor, I mean incredibly minor. And then from there, I mean, once they kind of expanded the whole coven concept, I kind of really started to lose interest. And then the last film, The Ghost Dimension, I famously gave a terrible review. I, I, I just hated that fucking movie. It's like we, we waited all this time to finally see Toby. And what do we get? A CGI dust cloud? Fuck you. So uh, I went into this one with no real expectations. I will say I did enjoy this one a little bit more than maybe the last couple of chapters of the franchise, but um, this movie still has a lot of the horror tropes that I hate. Incredibly unlikable characters, disrespectful city folks going into the country and, you know, having little making little remarks and pot shots at the locals. And, and especially in this case, too, because our city folks are actually going into Amish country. And, you know, it's really easy for, you know, teenagers and well, not so much teenagers, but 20 somethings from the city to kind of scoff and, you know, make remarks about the Amish, especially living with no technology, no electronics, blah, blah, blah. But our, st our story basically is a girl who was adopted. She was left at a hospital when she was a child, uh, finds out that her real family is actually this Amish family living, you know, deep in the woods. Uh, she she ends up being she actually is a documentary filmmaker and she brings a cameraman and sound man with her and hilarity ensues from there. I won't really go too much into plot points, but let me just say, folks, within 20 minutes of this movie, I was ready to be done with it. I just like I said, really unlikable characters, disrespectful characters. 
Um, not really a found footage movie either. That's the other thing that I actually is a major contention for me. It is a documentary style, like a mockumentary, but there are shots in the movie that are not taken by anyone uh, on the film crew. Mm. They're literally like full production shots that you would see in any other movie. And it's like, well, wait a minute. What the fuck? Like it, it'll go from a mockumentary to suddenly just a normal movie and then back to the mockumentary. And it was a little jarring at times. Um, I, I thought it was a little disrespectful to like the the lineage of paranormal activity. Now, I understand that we're all sick of, like you know, the black and white, you know, uh, closed circuit security footage, the sped up time you know, uh, that every movie is done, the sped up time signatures, blah, blah, blah. You know, obviously Paranormal Activity has its own series of tropes, but this movie, they tried to do something different, but in trying to do something different, they literally gave us just a color by numbers, you know, kind of ghost possession, whatever you want to go with type story. And I don't know. I wasn't really happy with it. I'm not going to say it's the worst paranormal activity movie. Um, I'm going to say it's solidly somewhere in the middle, um, maybe towards the back half. But, you know, ultimately, there's not really a whole lot to praise about this movie Um, other than the creature. I thought the creature design on our eventual creature is pretty cool. I'm just going to leave it at creature. I'm not going to say anything else about it. Um, could be a ghost, could be a specter, could be a demon. What the hell could it be? So, like I said, I'm going to leave it at that and just say that it's it, it, it's an okay movie. It's not anything that you need to rush to. If you're a you know, obviously, if you're a fan of the paranormal franchise and you're a completionist like I am, you're going to watch the movie regardless. And it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. You know, it's not going to leave you pissed off or anything at the end. Um, but it's not really a very satisfying entry into the franchise. Uh, Derek, uh, did you get a chance to watch this yet? No, man. I, oh. uh, I actually seen the trailer for this a long, like when, right when the trailer, I actually watched, I was just fucking curious, uh-huh. you know, you know, for these like found footage movies, I will watch the trailers for, I'm like, yeah. okay, whatever. And I'm like, oh my God, this looks like fucking Amish paradise by weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> like I legitimately just posted the music video after I watched the trailer on Facebook. <laughs> I would have uh, rather watched Amish Paradise on repeat. <laughs> yo, you know what they should have did? They should have just had fucking Weird Al fucking cameo uh, in the movie. <laughs> just turning butter. Like <laughs> so was this um what was this like uh, considered a sequel, a retcon sequel, just a total reboot? Like nothing it is a related completely to completely different story has nothing to okay. do with Toby or Micah or any of the players from the original films. The witches, the coven, literally has nothing to do with any of it. It's a completely different story. Okay. You might, you so might just like say, another entity taking place somewhere other place. Exactly. Yeah. Let's just go with that. I don't want to, I don't want to get too spoilery because like I said, I know a lot of people are going to watch it despite what we say about it. And rightfully so. Like I said, if you want to finish the, the, you know, the franchise, then might as well. I'm not sure if this is any kind of end. Um, it almost seems like they're building towards a, a new beginning, if you will. Like this almost feels like the start of potentially a new franchise, especially with the ending that we get. But 
ultimately, you know, it's a fairly weak entry into the franchise. It's barely a paranormal activity movie. It feels almost more like The Last Exorcist, in all honesty. But The Last Exorcist is like five times better than this movie. And The Last Exorcist isn't all that great to begin with. So, yeah. So just, you know, take it all with a grain of salt, folks. I wasn't real happy with it. Could be the alcohol talking. I don't know. But I know that when I watched it last night, I just was not happy with it at all. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I remember that this movie was happening. I just kind of totally forgot when it was even being released. And somebody, I think before I even knew that you had seen it, someone else had asked me and I was like, I was like, what it's out already. And then there's just no time for me to see it before recording. So I didn't worry, but not like I was like super looking forward to it, but because I've seen them all, I'll still get around to it. But it sounds like I don't need to put a rush on it. (laughs) Nah, honestly, I would say if you already have Paramount plus, then there's no reason not to watch it. It's a new horror movie at Halloween time. If you have, you know, if you're not going to watch your all time favorites or classics, things like that, this Halloween, which I know most of us do anyway, it's not the worst movie to throw on. Um, I mean, hey, it's better than bad candy, at least. But that's not really saying a whole lot. So. I don't know. Like I said, take everything I say today with a grain of salt, folks. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. Like, I'll definitely end up seeing it. Just mm-hmm. who knows when. Especially, look, it's probably going to be like an odd man out on a, on fresh cuts at least for a few weeks just because we have other stuff to cover. So we'll see. I'll get around to it. Maybe I'll end up watching it before we record the next episode of this and then I'll bring it up. But, um, all right, Derek, how about you? Uh, uh I checked out a new one on Netflix that, you know, I, I didn't know nothing really about it. It's, uh, the film, there's someone inside your house, uh, came out early in October, October 6th, it premiered on Netflix. Uh, I didn't know nothing about this. You know, I, I seen like some, a little bit of snippet of it on like, you know, how, when you go through like all the exclusive shit and they show you like a little bit of the trailer, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, this is directed by Patrick Bryce, who was, uh, the, the director of like, uh, the Mark Duplass creep movie, uh, totally different than that movie. Uh, it's based off a book, which I never read the book. So I'm very curious how faithful it is the actual source material in that sense. But overall, it's kind of, I actually kind of like the uniqueness of the story. You know, it's a slasher film. So how original could it be? But I like that this idea of like this killer that's going around stalking people wearing their face, wearing masks of the victims faces while they're trying to kill them. It's actually kind of an interesting aspect to the movie. Uh, uh, the characters for the most part, I like that, you know, they have like the whole inside thing about this movie is every character has its own hidden secret, which is mm-hmm. kind of like the play of what's going on with why the killers, uh, stalking them in that sense. So I was curious on that note about it. Uh, it, it has like a great, uh, kill set piece in the, like near, like it's like, Maybe the first or second kill that I really dug the set piece of how the kill was done. It was kind of reminded me of kind of like Alice Sweet Alice in a way, especially with the sudden and shit like that. Mm. 
Yeah. Uh, the kills pretty much, I like the uniqueness of them. They have to, you know, they involve like situations of the characters that are involved with the victims of the movie. And, uh, I like the main lead. I think she did a kind of a good job. And I like how her, uh, it built to her like inner secret herself. And, you know, there's, you know, it, it, it's a, maybe a tad too long in the film. Because uh, they do kind of drag out the situation between her and kind of her on again, off again boyfriend, which, uh, you know, it was interesting in that aspect too. He's kind of like the outcast of the town. Uh, everyone's like, he's the fucking murderer, <laughs> you know, because of the way he looks and shit. But overall, I dug it, you know, maybe not the strongest ending either too, I might add, but I kind of, I didn't actually know who the killer was and it was like, Revealed, I was like, huh. Okay, I didn't see that coming, but it was kind of <laughs> like, okay, whatever. You know, but, you know, I dug it for the most part. Did you guys see this one yet? Have not. Nope. It's on my queue. Netflix actually dropped a bunch of stuff in the last month or two, and I'm still behind on a lot of it. So I'll get to it in, hopefully in November since a lot of them are 2021. So Yeah, it was also weird because like a lot of the actors are in this were actually in uh, the Netflix show Virgin River. And I only know that because my mom watches it every fucking day. <laughs> because she likes that main dude that was in like the, the Ring remake with Naomi Watts. He's the main dude in it. He's She's like, he's so fucking hot. I'm like, dude. I knew him from the fucking ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I dug it for the. I say, I say, check it out. Is it fucking a masterpiece? Probably not, but I thought it was unique enough with the story. It's you know, for the like a slasher film in general. You know, it's kind of one of the more unique slash that initiation from this year. Two of the the more interesting slasher movies I've seen. You know. Nice. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. So for my first one, I'll go with a movie I've been kind of wanting to watch for a while, but in the past, shoot, I'd say even a couple months, I just haven't had a lot of time to watch it. movies outside of like uh, for the shows we're doing. So I had a bit of free time. So I watched uh, We Need to Do Something. And I'll say for people that like confinement horror, um, basically, you know, horror that takes place in one uh, location, spot, room, or otherwise. Uh, I found this one to be pretty good. I, I liked uh, the story. Basically, a family's locked in their bathroom um, one night, and there's something going on outside. We don't really know what it is. Um, we're kind of getting small pieces of information throughout the night and uh you know the characters as you can imagine start going stir crazy start turning on each other somewhat and we kind of go from there pat healy um is the father in this so i i would say there there's a good chance that your your individual feelings and thoughts on confinement horror if it's something you like you will probably dig this and then of course the other thing is like will the payoff happen because when when there's not a whole bunch going on, um, you know, when it's very dialogue heavy, it, it, so for a lot of people, it's going to depend on okay, do they land and stick the ending. And for me, it did. 
maybe for some it won't, but I had a, a good time with it. And I was entertained. Uh, have you guys seen this? What was it called again? I'm sorry. I, I got a message. Uh, we need to do something. No, I didn't check this one out yet. It sound, it sounds good. I just didn't get the title. Um, no, I haven't watched it yet either. Uh, when it first came out, um, it wasn't getting the most positive reviews. Not that anybody was calling it terrible necessarily, but like, one of the biggest complaints people had was about the pacing and that it, you know, it's, it's kind of slow in a lot of parts. I'm not sure if Mike can speak to that, but um, it's just another movie on my queue that I need to watch. Yeah, for sure. I, I would recommend it and say check it out. Um, but yeah, I was a fan. And uh, I, it's funny too because I I do agree that it, it seemed like the reaction to it was kind of mixed. But you know how sometimes it it's not so much the overall reaction, but it's like who is saying what about it? Because some mm-hmm. some people that you know tend to like the things you like, like the either the subgenres or style or types mm-hmm. of movies. If those are the people that like it, you're like okay, I'm going to you know, uh, move it up the list based on that. So that's what yeah. happened and ended up really liking it. But, uh, yeah, so that's my first one. So back to you, Venom. All right. My next one is, um, going to be another Netflix. Well, this one's a Netflix release. My first one was a Paramount plus release. Um, this film actually is not new. It is new as in it's 2021, but it was actually released on July 2nd on Netflix. This comes to us from South Korea um, this was a movie that I put on my queue right away, but because of the runtime, which is over two hours, it was one that I just didn't jump on right away. But I had some free time, uh, what, like two nights ago, I think, and I was kind of doing something else at the same time, so I decided to go ahead and pop this on, and if it garnered my attention, then I would go ahead and start paying attention to it, but if it wasn't that great, then I could just ignore it, and it's not a big deal, The movie in question is South Korea's The Eighth Night. Uh, This is a story of a monk who is tasked with finding a demon that has recently escaped. Now, at the beginning of this movie, uh, we get, you know, the exposition history lesson, you know, 5,000 years ago, a demon existed that blah, blah, blah. Uh, Basically, uh, the Buddha at the time ended up battling with this demon. The Buddha ended up being victorious. And the way that he defeated this demon was he plucked its eyes out. Um, the, and the, the eyes were two different colors. One eye was red and one eye was black. Um, basically, each eye has its own like level of abilities and things that it can do. But only when the two eyes are together can the demon itself rise up. So... Uh, basically, this movie is the story of the red eyes. Um, a, an archaeologist ends up finding the red eye along the India and Pakistan border, right in the middle of the desert. Um, and, you know, literally from there, uh, the demon, we, we basically get a uh, a storyline of uh, a demonic possession where it bounces from person to person. You know, we've seen it before. It's nothing too terribly original. Um, this demon, you know, with just its red eye still does, like I said, it still has the ability to jump into different humans, make those people either commit suicide or kill others. Um, There's actually a cool little gag in the movie where whenever someone who's actually possessed by this red eye, when the, when the eye itself wants to look out, 
um, the person will actually grow like a third eyelid on their cheek. And that eyelid opens up and it's the red eye inside their cheek. Um, It's obviously very CG, but for whatever it's worth, I thought it was creepy enough that it worked for me. At one point, uh, the demon jumps into this really pretty like Asian schoolgirl um, and then she does at one point she turns around to talk to the monk as the girl, but then instantly transforms kind of becomes the demon. And she, she gives this great insidious ear to ear grin, like the ghost from insidious that had those gigantic toothy grins, uh, she gives <laughs> that grin right into the camera. And it's like, she's looking into your soul. It was actually quite effective. Um, ultimately, as far as the film is concerned, it's fairly color by numbers. Like, I, I'm not going to say that this is a stellar entry from South Korea. It's watchable. I still give it a, a positive review and rating, but I wouldn't call this essential viewing like a train to Busan, you know, something like that. Um, but like I said, it's on Netflix. If you're not, you know, if, you, if you're not scared of the two plus hour runtime, uh, it does go by fairly quick. Obviously, you know, the second act is going to be a little bit slower. We're going to be getting a lot more exposition, more, you know, imagery of the demon kind of jumping from person to person, but not actually doing much of anything. Uh, all the big action comes. The big action and the high body count uh, comes in the third act, uh, you know, when everything comes to a head and we get our final confrontation between, you know, the monk, his apprentice, um, a girl a runaway girl who has, who plays a, a big part in the storyline. And then of course our, our whoever happens to be possessed by the demon at that moment um, throughout the film. Like I said, he's a school girl at one point, he's a cop at another point. He's um, like another religious figure, not a monk, but like another religious figure in China so, or in, in Korea, excuse me. Um, so like I said, it's a mildly interesting film. I wouldn't call it essential viewing, but if you're a fan of demonic possession, which I am, it, it probably is my favorite subgenre of horror. Anyone who knows me knows the exorcist is my favorite film of all time. So when I see demon possession, I tend to jump on those movies and I do tend to judge them a little harshly because it is my favorite subgenre. So take that into account as well. Um, but ultimately I had a, decent time with this movie if not just a little over long uh, they could have shaved a little bit out of this um have either of you guys had a chance to watch this like i said it's been on netflix since july i actually started this a while ago and never got back it wasn't that i was bored or anything i think i just got uh sided by something else and mm-hmm. didn't finish it it was weird to me because I swear to God, I put the film on original language, and it switched to English halfway. Through. Oh wow! What? That's like it's like I know I put it in Korean, but why are they talking English? What the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah, that's odd. I don't remember any actual English in it. There's no American characters in it. Um, yeah, I, I had uh, what do you call it? Korean with English subtitles. You know those bright yellow subtitles that Netflix uses. But, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, the word, maybe I fucked up, because one time I fucking fucked up when I was watching that Juon series, and I put it on Japanese with, like, uh, the description for, like, you know, if you're blind. Uh-huh. And all you hear is, when no one's talking, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah, but I, I might go back to it. It sounds interesting enough. I might... Look into that. 
yeah, like I said, if you're if you're a fan of the subgenre, then I would say go ahead and watch it. If you're if you're not the biggest fan of demonic possession anyway, it's not essential viewing by any stretch. It's not gonna go down as a classic South Korean horror film by any stretch. But like I said, I tend to gravitate towards foreign horror and dem- and demonic possession, so it clicked a couple of boxes for me. I figured I'd check it out since I had the time. And like I said, it, it, it's about middle of the road. Like, you're not going to see anything too original. You know, the final battle at the end between the monk and the demon goes about as expected. Um, you know, the effects aren't anything too special. Um, like I said, the effects on the demon when it's possessing someone, I, I, I like those just because of the way the eyes and everything look. But otherwise, it's a fairly color-by-numbers demonic possession film. Nothing too special, but... Um, still, like I said, if you like this stuff, go ahead and watch it. I'm repeating myself. Alcohol! Yes, science! <laughs> God, you gotta, come, you, gotta, you gotta wrangle me in, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> he's the, All he's right. the quiet serpent, you know? Snake <laughs> <laughs> in the grass. <laughs> Derek, go for it. I have no other new movies to talk about, so... Because I've been watching a lot of comfort food shit. But I did watch this for the first time, which is a film from 1985. Which I never got the chance to see it, because I actually was part of a 85 show. I just never got around to it. And this is a film from Mexico called Cemetery of Terror. Uh, it's the first film from Ruben Galindo Jr., who uh, did... Two other horror movies I know of, he did Don't Panic and Grave Robbers. All three of those are from the land of Mexico. And uh, this one, the plot might sound familiar. Uh, Killer is gunned down in the beginning of the movie. He just murdered a girl brutally inside of an elevator. And uh, a group of medical students actually carry steal his body and uh, do a seance and raise him from the dead, uh, making him pretty much unstoppable. And it's only up to one man to do it. And it's his doctor. Uh, but, you know, if you hear the, and also this film takes place on Halloween. So, uh, yeah, there's that. Uh, yeah, this movie's pretty much, the beginning of it, anyways, is kind of a rip on Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> but then, all of a sudden, this immortal dead killer also has the power to raise the dead. So then it turns into a fucking zombie movie at the end, and it's fucking amazing. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's pretty great. It's like Halloween if mixed if Lucio Fulci directed it, and the kills are fucking brutal. Like this guy doesn't even use fucking weapons; he just uses his fucking bare hands. He pretty much just bear claws this girl's stomach open in one scene. It's fucking awesome. You see like all the guts and shit just coming out and shit. <laughs> uh, great atmosphere in this film. If you're looking for, a, I know this one won't be released, but if you're looking for a movie next year for Halloween. This has some great fucking atmosphere to it. And uh, it has probably the greatest Mexican actor of all time in it. And that is Hugo Stickless. 
Yes. The Yugo Stickless. <laughs> the. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you know uh, the history of uh, Quinn Tarantino, he actually named the character Yugo Stickless after this actor. And uh, he's uh, fans of uh, horror films pr- would probably know him from Umberto Lindsay's Nightmare City. Uh-huh. And uh, and his work with like a Rene Cardona Jr., which is weird because actually Rene Carando Jr.'s son, Rene Carando the Third, is one of the actors in the movie. <laughs> yeah, so that's a little fun. Uh, yeah, it's a fun movie. Uh, I highly recommend it. Actually, it's actually one. It kind of blew me away. With some of the atmosphere and you know she's because it has like the, all the cheesy 80s slasher motifs at the beginning but then it turns into a full-blown zombie flick at the end and it's fucking awesome uh yeah uh, mexican horror man uh actually all three of these get this guy's like horror films that i've seen they're pretty good. Like, Don't Panic's kind of like a rip uh, it's not a rip it's kind of has like in terms of like a Mexican version of Nightmare on Elm Street, in a way, that's pretty that. interesting. Yeah, that's and the only then, one I saw was Don't Panic. Yeah, and Grave Robbers is a uh, yeah, it's kind of like a supernatural slasher with you know it's like kind of like bring back like this old like I forget what he's like a fucking warlock or something and he starts killing them. It's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, these are all released by Vinegar Syndrome too, so they all have like great HD transfers now. And uh, they all have uh, actually, if you're a fan of commentaries, uh, the, the Slasher podcast, Hysteria Continues, actually does commentaries on all the releases. So yeah, those, they're pretty good. Flex and uh, you know Mexican horror, pretty good. You know, and this one's it takes place on Halloween, so I don't see why you not would not want to watch it. Fucking Hugo Stickless is in it, yo. Really? The Hugo Stickless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mike, have you seen this? My God. Uh, no, I have not. Um, but uh, it sounds interesting. It sounds like something I should see. Yes. Now you know I'm going to get you for that late birthday present. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But what I have seen is the movies that made us season three on Netflix. Have you guys seen that? Or at least the horror episodes? Yeah. No, fucking I have, fantastic. I haven't I watched, watched any of I haven't watched. Well, you know, I'm always late for fucking TV or like show shit anyways. Yeah. When I yeah. saw that they were doing, you know, some pretty heavy, you know, horror franchises, I, I figured I, I had to watch them right away. I think I binged the three horror episodes and then finished the rest of the season later on. Isn't it yeah. Friday the 13th, though? I mean, uh, yeah. Ultimately, these shows aren't meant for hardcore fans. Like, we're, people like us aren't going to learn. Like, I can't imagine Mike is really going to learn anything new about Nightmare on Elm Street by watching that episode. You know, he follows the franchise. He, you know, follows the news. You know, yeah. he, he probably at some point has done research on, you know, what it took to make it and everything else. I mean, we might get some of the financial stuff that's more behind the scenes, but ultimately, 
as a hardcore fan, you're not probably going to learn anything new, but they're so well made. They're so well put together. Uh, the interviews, I think, are great. So, yeah, I, I, all three of those horror episodes are really, really cool. Honestly, though, even though Friday is my favorite franchise, I think that Nightmare episode was my favorite. I really like the drama of, you know, them losing all their funding and then how the hell they were going to you know, get back and the fact that the crew had to work free for like multiple weeks in a row. I mean, that that's the kind of stuff that mm-hmm. I didn't know about that I found fascinating. So yeah, good well, stuff. Well, it, it really puts a person like when you have, when you go back and see how some of these movies were made and what went into them just to get them done. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know if you guys can hear it. There's like some type of road work or something going on in front of my house so if there's like any background noise that's what that is uh but basically what i'm saying is like because i don't want to steer everything back to like the original versus remake debate and talk because it always seems to go there with me but (laughs) yeah i know that part part of part of why i hold originals in in such high regard, you know, when they turn out well is because a lot of them have specific situations on what went into them, what they had to sacrifice, how people really had to believe in the project, even continue it on because of all these weird, crazy, horrible conditions that they were made under. Um, and it, it, it's really like the unique experience that produced some of these movies and uh, shows like the movies that made us, I would say even because like I, I guess out of the three, I would say Halloween's the one I've seen the most just mm-hmm. other, you know, whether features or behind the scenes on. But even that, I still learn some new information on just Ugh. as far as background stuff going oh, on. You- <laughs> and the, re- the reason I like these shows is because these aren't the type of documentaries where it's just people sitting around going, yeah, we really love this movie. I mean, there's plenty of stuff for that. Those have their purpose. Mm-hmm. But these are – and initially when you see it and you're like running time, like 30 or 40 minutes, you're like, how are they going to pack information? Like enough info to that. But the way it's paced, they get through a lot mm-hmm. of discussion and facts and background information in that running time to where by the time the credits are rolling, you feel like you've almost watched like 90 minute documentary on it because of how much they don't mess around. There's no real yeah. filler in these running times. And that's, part of the great thing about them is they just keep it moving. And, um, I, I was a fan of the show before they were even doing horror because a lot of the stuff, other stuff was, you know, non horror genre stuff. I grew up with too. And then the fact that season three started with three horror episodes just was like the icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. But for anyone that hasn't seen it yet, it's on Netflix. It's a Netflix uh, series. And, uh, obviously because each episode covers a different movie, there's no, required order for like story purposes. So you can just look at the list of episodes and say, Hey, I want to see about back to the future or nightmare or whatever. But yeah, this show is highly recommended. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) For anyone who hasn't seen it. Yeah. Movies that made us is a spinoff of the first show, which was the toys that made us, which was basically a retrospective of, you know, different toys. Like one episode would be about GI Joe, another about Thundercats, Transformers. Amen. And then the same producers got together and put this series together, which ultimately, like Mike said, uh, the way that they're put together, it's great pacing. They're they're even funny at times. Like there's actually some decent comedic writing um, in the episodes. A lot of the especially people that had to go through absolute hell 
to make those original movies. Most of them seem to have a good sense of humor about it now, and they can tell like funny stories about, you know, like the, um, for example, in, in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, when they did the bathtub scene, the guy, the, the stuntman, that, obviously that's not Robert England under there with the glove. Uh, it's mm-hmm. actually, obviously one of the special effects guys. He actually had to be in that tub of water for eight straight hours. Do you have any idea what that must do to the human skin? Like no breaks, literally, um, you know, the, the bottom of the bathtub was cut out or the half of it was so that, uh, you know, Nancy could lay in there and the actor or, the, you know, the uh, the stuntman is basically literally submerged underwater until they get their cue. Obviously, they shot it a multitude of times. So just just those little things I thought were great because, you know, obviously most of us probably have a good idea how they do these effects. But to find out that that poor guy was underwater for eight hours, it's like that, no, that, that movie didn't make enough money to pay that guy what he deserves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Willis. <laughs> um, All righty, then let's go back to Venom for their final round. All right. Well, I don't have any more 2021 stuff, obviously. I was about game. to say, I'm assuming we're not doing antlers, even though all three of us oh, have seen it. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're saving that for a special occasion, uh, which will be on Monday. So stay tuned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, for anybody who follows me on Facebook and saw all my 31 days of terror posts, that I put up every day. Uh, you know that for a couple of weeks in October, I concentrated on 1981 horror films. That was in preparation for the next episode of it's, uh, excuse me, of in the Mike of madness with Rebecca Reinhardt. That episode will get uh, recorded next week and hopefully will be out shortly after that. We were hoping to have it out before uh, Halloween, but obviously Life happens, and uh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be our November episode instead. So uh, look out for that. Also on the same network uh, that you can find us, Dark Discussions Podcast Network. But uh, the point is, is that I watched 22 1981 horror films in the span of those two weeks, and of those 22 films, three of them were first time watches. And I wanted to go ahead and talk about my favorite first-time watch of of my 1981 films. Uh, The three first-time watches were Madman, you know, just a great traditional slasher that I just had never gotten to before, but finally got to see it. Dead and Buried, which is kind of a little bit of a shame of mine that I didn't watch that sooner. Um, Turned out to be a really, really fun and interesting movie, the storyline. You know, they kind of do a... A, a kind of sort of voodoo zombie story, but with Grandpa Joe from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I so. got a golden zombie. <laughs> oh, my God. So that movie was endlessly entertaining. But uh, of the three, the the one that I was ended up being my favorite of my first time 1981 watches is The Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. This is uh, another kind of, you know, shame of mine that I'd never gotten <sighs> to this sooner. But holy shit, what a great fucking movie this turned out to be. Charles Durning is now one of the most epic scumbags, cinematic scumbags ever with his role in this movie. What an absolute piece of shit. Otis Hazelrig, his name even sounds like he's a fucking douchebag, just some southern racist douchebag. But anyway, yeah. 
this movie uh, takes place in a small southern town. It's basically the story of Charles Durning and uh, a group of vigilantes who um, kill a mentally challenged adult, but actually played by Larry Drake from L.A. Law fame, if anybody remembers. And even though Larry Drake is not in this movie for very long, his performance as Bubba is stellar. Just spectacular. Like, I, I couldn't get over how well he played that part. But anyway, um, the character of Bubba gets uh, basically accused of a crime that actually doesn't even happen. But because Charles Durning and his little buddies have always hated Bubba, you know, he's the he's the mentally challenged adult that always hangs out with kids. And, you know, he's, of course, the judgmental older you know citizen who thinks that this adult is doing dirty things with these little kids. I think he says diddling at one point in the film, which is a word that may, even though it's an awful word, it makes me laugh every time I fucking hear it. Um, but anyway, um, this little girl ends up getting attacked uh, by a dog, but Bubba is there to save her. Bubba actually saves her life from this dog. He picks her up and takes her home and, you know, as soon as the mother sees Bubba holding, you know, her limp daughter, instantly they accuse Bubba of the crime. Um, and basically, while the little girls in surgery getting all stitched up and everything are vigilantes, they go out and they do exactly what you think. They they track down Bubba and they basically murder him incredibly unceremoniously. Literally within 30 seconds of Bubba dying, they get a call on the CB radio saying, hey, the search is off for Bubba. It turns out it was a dog that attacked the little girl. Bubba actually saved her. But of course, at this point, the deed is done. And then at that point, um, a scarecrow, a, a person dressed like a scarecrow is basically marauding uh, through these four vigilantes, basically taking their revenge. Um, our little girl in question actually sees the monster or the, the creature entity, whatever you want to call it, multiple times throughout the film and actually just calls it Bubba. Like she's just convinced it actually is Bubba because she doesn't realize that Bubba actually died, even when she's told that Bubba died. Uh, she doesn't really accept it. So uh, I don't want to get into any more plot points at this point. Let's just say uh, Charles Durning, one of the great cinematic assholes of all time in this film. And honestly, I was very satisfied with this ending. We get a very satisfying ending, you know, despite the atrocity that occurred to Bubba. You know, the you know, I, I don't want to give away too much. You know, it, ultimately, it is a 1981 movie. We're talking 40, uh, exactly 40 years old, actually. In fact, this came out on October 24th, 1981. So literally 40 years and a week. So happy late birthday to Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. I'm going to assume at least one of you guys has seen this one. So go ahead and chime in on Dark Knight for me. Yeah, it's fucking awesome, man. I just actually reviewed this on my channel. Nice. A few uh, weeks ago. Yeah, it was one of my 31 days. I forget what day, though. <laughs> I actually did it for a review because, spoiler, I kind of pre-recorded some of them because you had to <laughs> Yeah. when you had my lifestyle. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's, the themes of the movie are kind of deep for a TV movie, especially when, you know, like you said, when Charles, you think Charles Jordan is doing this because he thinks it's wrong, but then you find out later that he's kind of has a thing for, like, this little girl, too. It's like, what? Uh-huh. You know, it's fucked up, you know, and I found it interesting how 
like the only other recognizable face is Lane Smith, who plays, uh, you know, the oh. guy who gets. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> I, I was expecting him to go as soon as he did in the movie. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like that's you know, he's like the second or third no most known person in the movie. I'm like, oh shit, yeah. but. Yeah, I like where the story goes, and, you know, it's a great, you know, for a TV movie, it's one of the best TV movies of its time period in general. Yeah, I I actually had no idea it was a TV movie until I looked up information about it after I had watched it, and I really was surprised. I mean, it it explained why it's it's a fairly bloodless movie. There's not really a whole lot of blood or any gore of any kind. In fact, we actually get a wood chipper death that still is bloodless because we don't actually get to see it. Um, but for a TV movie, yeah. I mean, I'm going to put this up there with Salem's Lot and Stephen King's It any day of the week. This is a great, great made-for-TV horror film. I mean, legitimate tension, le- legitimate scares. Um, yeah, I- I'm very upset it took me this long to watch this movie because this is probably going to be an annual watch for me now. Just great performances and just such a hateable villain. You know, it- it- it's one of those love to hate situations. You know, he's just such a shithead that yet you-, you hate him, but you love watching him, too. So, uh, Mike, have you seen this one? Mike? Uh, yes, I have seen this God, going way back. Uh it's it's kind of a classic, a Halloween classic. Um, I I think we covered it on evil episodes back in the day. If if we didn't do like a full out review on it, I know it got brought up at the time because it was originally made for TV. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's always been a fun one to me. It, pretty scary for like a made for TV yeah. movie. Pretty dark. Like there's some mean fucking characters <laughs> in this movie. Um, and yeah, what a night! What a great title too. Just Dark Night of the Scarecrow. If that if that doesn't scream like NBC Saturday Night Halloween Dark yeah. Night of the Scarecrow, it's like it's just the perfect promo setup for it. But yeah, I've yeah. always been a fan of this one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even the movie poster is awesome. I love this poster. Yeah, I, I'm I'm so ashamed that I'm behind on this one. But yeah, I'm glad I caught up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's good, you know. Actually, fun fact before we move on, mm-hmm. uh, the director of this uh, film actually didn't really direct much. She, uh, Frank uh, DeFiletti, uh-huh. he was actually a writer before this. And, you know, he didn't actually write Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. But did you know what he, he actually wrote? Venom? Uh, I do not know. He wrote the original novel and screenplay for both Audrey Rose and nice. the entity. Oh, very cool. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he actually wrote this movie that's not really a horror movie. It's more of like a dystopian future movie that I actually own mm-hmm. called uh, ZPG, which stands for Zero Population Growth. I think I've uh, seen ZPG. That sounds yeah, really familiar. With Oliver Reed and uh, uh, Geraldine Chaplin. Yeah, yeah, it's a 70s movie, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, oh, I, I, yeah I've seen that one, yep. Yeah, it was kind of interesting when I found that out. And, uh, yeah, his directing, yeah, he didn't direct much. Uh, he Like, his two ones that I know of, he did a lot of TV movies. But, uh, yeah, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, but then he did Scissors with Sharon Stone. <laughs> oh, well, we'll forgive him for that. <laughs> eh, 
I actually watched it. It's not that bad. It's actually one of the better movies from 91. I mean, I remember watching it when it was new and just not really being impressed. I mean, I'm I'm sure it's better than my memory says it is, but I've just never returned to it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. Nice. After you uh, after you marathon 91 like I did. <laughs> like top 20 here. Right Very nice. <laughs> So what do you got next, us. Derek? Oh wait, excuse me. That was uh Oh no, that, yeah, Derek is next. That was mine. That was oh, I next okay. week. Don't blame me, I'm drunk. I also said Derek first. And then Venom almost corrected me incorrectly. Ah. <laughs> hey, what am I gonna talk about? I got I'm trying to choose one that I haven't mentioned before. Talk about it's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. I didn't watch that this year. Oh, damn it. Oh, I'll talk about this one. This is kind of a newer movie. Uh, it's uh, kind of a horror anthology that takes place around stories involving Halloween. Halloween. Wow, I didn't even drink. I'm fucking flaring. <laughs> but uh, it's called Three Dead Trick or Treaters from 2017. I love the title. <laughs> yeah, it, this is a very interesting movie for the aspect that it's a horror anthology with no dialogue whatsoever. Hmm. Uh, yeah, pretty much the setup of it from what I got. I'm not going to really go into the stories because I'll kind of explain why why I think this movie went the way it is. Uh, the main like wraparound story, which I kind of got the idea of what was going on within it, because it's kind of straightforward with the images and visuals of it mm-hmm. is pretty much. It's about this paper boy who's on his route and he stumbles upon three wooden crosses with trick or treater masks on it in the middle of nowhere. And each one of these tombstones or crosses hanging a piece of paper that actually tells a story and the story ends up becoming like the segments of the anthology as it goes along. That's how it's becoming a, a horror anthology. It's, you know, and I like that aspect about it. I think the reason why the filmmaker did it like this is he wanted you to have an open interpretation of what you might think of what's going on in the actual stories. Cause even like some of the stories themselves, I'm like, what the fuck did I just watch? Or I don't even know how to like, I didn't even know it really happened. And then I watched it a second. I actually watched this twice. And I, I think I have a different like aspect of what I, I thought was going on in this one. Hmm. You know? So I think that's because I was actually watching the interview on the disc with the director. And he was actually like kind of saying that's the reason why he did it that way. He wanted you to, because he was a big fan of silent movies and he wanted like an interpretation of what was going on. And, you know, it, it only runs an hour and 17 minutes, which it flies by in that sense. You know, <laughs> the stories themselves are not that long for what they are. But I kind of dug this a little bit more than, say, a Tales of Halloween, where there's no connectivity at all to the stories. It just feels like a bunch of directors like, hey, we made an anthology film. (laughs) You know, and I know people like that movie. I'm not going to bitch on it too much, but I just feel like it felt like an ABC 
he sees a death that of all tales that took place of Halloween to me that <laughs> which I also like. I, I, I you know I like no they're much. an acquired taste. I, I will fully admit that, especially ABCs. <laughs> but yeah, Tales from Halloween is not like a stellar you know uh, anthology by any stretch. But yeah, I, I enjoy them the, for whatever I, it's worth. I, I, I think I like the no, I I do like the shorts of Tales of Halloween. I just don't like the way that it it's kind of just you know put out for us. If that makes sense. Sure. You know where it's like because even like some of the like the shorts of like eight Tales of Halloween felt like 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 they ended with red. I'm like, are these are like throwaway ABCs of death fucking shorts <laughs> that they threw? You know what I mean? But, but you know, season death. You know, but <laughs> but I like this because it actually does have a. I just like anthologies or wraparounds. I think they work better. Even like yeah. like Southbound is kind of connective in itself. Oh, with, absolutely. Yeah. You know, in that sense. But uh, you know, I I like this one because it does. You know, the the shorts do feel different, but they all take place because of this wraparound. And I do dig that about it. So yeah, I yeah. Do recommend it. A big yeah, a big part of anthologies is going to be that wraparound. I mentioned Bad Candy earlier um, that we reviewed on Fresh Cuts. Part of the reason I didn't like that was because of the wraparound. You know, the two guys at the radio station, the two or the one DJ and the one engineer. We've seen it before in uh, what, a Christmas horror story with William Shatner, and William Shatner did it ten times better. As bad as an actor as he might be, he still did it way better than Corey Taylor. So, um, but yeah, I, I fully agree that horror anthologies kind of are made or broken by their wraparound. So, Shatner is the greatest actor ever, by the way. I, I wouldn't argue with that. In all honesty, I, I'm married to a Trekkie, so I can't argue with that. I'm not allowed to. Gone. <laughs> Come on, he drinks beer like no one. Rack. <laughs> Ooh, beer. Oh. <laughs> mm. <laughs> beer. Yeah, I thought uh, we were just at uh, Sierra Nevada's actual brewery in Chico where they make it uh, last week, and I picked up a six-pack of Sierra Nevada Celebration Ale, so I might have to crack that open this weekend. Yeah, I, um, they're more known for their IPAs, and I hate IPAs, so I almost never drink Sierra Nevada. Yeah, it's see, it really depends. I mean, obviously, Sacramento is close enough to Chico that we get so much of their stuff in stores. So I've had like lots of like their non-IPA stuff. So just depending on what makes its way down to you guys or like outside of the state, because you know everyone knows their pale ale that's the one yeah. that shows up everywhere yeah. um but a, they had this new one called like 87 which is it's like a pale ale but it has a little more like citrus in it and it's, it's really really good but i think you can only get it on tap because i couldn't find uh bottles of it even in their little uh shop next to the brewery so that sucks cause if, if that was available to purchase in bottles i probably would have at least got 12 yeah <laughs> Yeah, Chico. And, it's about uh, about an hour and twenty minutes from here. We were that was the beer segment of the there. show, folks. That was Mike's yeah. third review. That was his third <laughs> review. He can't go now. Oh, that was his third <laughs> my, review. It was beer. My review like of it. beer. <laughs> um, hey, did I, I? I don't think I did because I wrote it specifically on this 
note sheet, but um, yes, we I know, know you I hate do... Halloween kills. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, don't force me to talk about it anymore. Um, I know I brought up the new season of American Horror Story, but I think the last time I brought it up, the second half had, was just starting. So I'll just kind of reiterate: the last four episodes are um, about like it's kind of like a fifties alien invasion story and it has since wrapped up and let me tell you it's only four episodes and that's to the benefit because man it was really good it's actually one that ended pretty uh like pretty decisively and man i i like i think this was like the 10th season so i don't know how many more they plan on going just because 10's already a lot but if they do continue i think this splits and style might be the way to go because it's really kind of helped you know cut the excess cut the filler not kind of have these seasons feel like they're ending two episodes too long um but basically you know the this alien invasion just to set it up basically during the um uh eisenhower eisenhower was president so we get our flashback to that era. It's kind of like as we're coming out of war, World War II and transitioning into like the Cold War, like Vietnam, Korea, all that stuff. So the, think of that era, pre-Kennedy, pre-Nixon. Um, basically, aliens touch down on Earth and basically explain to us, hey, look, we come from a planet that's dying. We need to find a new planet to live. The problem is in our regular alien form, we can't survive on Earth. So we've detected your human race as one that if we breed with and make like hybrid alien humans, um, then we can kind of like survive amongst each other. Eisenhower is kind of hesitant to make this deal, but the alien, the head alien, or at least the head representative that they send to talk to the president also makes it kind of clear, like, look, we're making this deal with you to be nice, but realistically we could destroy you, put you in captivity and force this on you if you don't go along with it. So it's pretty much like an agreement that's kind of forced. So that's kind of like the setup. And the cool thing is, um, is that we have a dueling timeline between it kind of takes you through like the Eisenhower, Kennedy, Nixon era that's like one timeline and then it goes to modern times because basically they're making the point that like this whole alien human hybrid experiment, it's not going to be done like short term. It's going to take like generations to perfect it. So you're kind of going back and forth between how it's all getting set up and then present day to see where we are in the uh, experiments. And man, it's really good. I like the only criticism people might have is it's definitely more of like the alien sci-fi stuff than straight horror but i don't care it is just so well done it like all the stuff that's taken place during the cold war it feels so authentic of that era they really nailed um just what it was like and like it, it's almost like caricatures of what we think of as like 50s 60s era but i don't it's fun and I, if anything, I would recommend just watch these four episodes on demand because they should probably already be up on Hulu. Four episodes is not going to take that long to watch. I honestly think it's one of the best things American Horror Story has ever done. Easily the best in like the last handful of seasons. Like I would, I would point someone to the this little arc specifically before anything else. And uh, 
Uh, and yeah, I, I was just very impressed with it. And the the reason I brought it up again is because I really haven't heard anyone talk about American Horror Story at all. Like whether it's uh, the first half of the season or the alien stuff, it just seems like it was kind of passed up this season by a lot of the horror community mm-hmm. where I usually see people talking about it. But um, well, it's yeah, that, it's that Walking Dead syndrome, you know, I mean, horror shows shouldn't be on the air that long, you know? I mean, yeah. you, you you have to constantly be introducing new characters, new creatures, new scenarios, just different, um, you know, um, instances where they have to escape something, be it a human antagonist or a creature. It's just, after a while, you know, I, I'm sure The Walking Dead is still doing quality programming right now, or at least the final season. I'm sure the final season beginning to end was still a you know good season, well-made, well-acted, well-written. But it's just I've lost interest. And I, I think that's the same thing with American Horror Stories. I've just kind of, after like seven, eight seasons, I just kind of lost interest. Um, Creepshow has kind of taken over my American Horror Story time. Like when when a season of Creepshow drops or an episode of Creepshow, I jump on those right away now. Whereas American Horror Story, Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, stuff like that, I'll get to it if I get to it. But like I won't cry if I don't. So it's just mm-hmm. like I said, horror shows that are like on for ten years. It's just wait, it's too much. Unless it's an anthology show where every episode is different, like a Tales from the Dark Side or something like that, then maybe you could do double digit episodes. But if it's like a single narrative, uh, like The Walking Dead, or a single narrative per season, like American Horror Story, uh, you just I don't know, kind of get sick of it. And I, I really would rather watch movies anyway than invest, you know, 10 hours into a series. That's Is just he? me. What, what happened? Is he done? Ah! Yeah, I mean, that's part of the the issue is like, because when, when Robert, Robert Kirkman, if you go all the way back to the comic, mm-hmm. like he, what he said was the reason he created the comic is because he was a huge fan of, Romero's dead films but he would always get to the end of the movie and then because like the next movie would pick up with new characters he'd always be interested well what happened to those characters when they ride off on the helicopter I want to know you know where did they land next what happened and that's what spawned the walking dead and I think through the show uh, they found out that there is still a um, what the hell am I thinking of like not a timer but like you know what I'm saying? Like there's an almost an expiration date on yeah. interest with certain characters. Like shelf after life. a decade, yeah. it's like, yeah, sh- that exactly. Okay. You're right. Shelf life. Um, no, even, even if it starts off really compelling at, at some point and you know, it gets formulaic, you know, there are nomads that go from place to place, encounter people that are bad and they set up, it gets destroyed, move on to the next spot. So after a while, um, and I think that that's probably why Romero did the movies the way he did, where he picked all his new characters because you know yeah. maybe he felt that. Um, I would have loved to have seen what blood. Romero would have done with a zombie series. You know, would it have been like The Walking Dead, where we follow the same group of people for years at a time, or you know, would he have? I don't know. I I have no idea what rolls around in Romero's head, or at least when he was with us, anyway. Um, so I, I still would have liked to have seen it, but yeah. like I said, it, it, there's definitely a shelf life, not just for characters, but just for these series in general. 
you know, three or four seasons, maybe five tops, but anything more than that. And it's like, you know, you're, you're just kind of beating a dead horse. You know, like I said, unless you're doing an anthology thing where you can make it drastically different from episode to episode like Creepshow. Um, otherwise, yeah, I'm, I, I'm only speaking for a certain section of TV viewers, but I can definitely say you just you lose interest after a while. You know, not everything can be The Simpsons, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, and then and the other thing with TV shows too, or at least the long running ones, is people develop relationships with certain characters, and when those characters leave, sometimes the viewers become uninterested. Like I remember Glenn; yep. that was a big that was a big Dude. turning point for a lot of viewers because they're like, "Well, I don't want to watch it anymore." Um, because Glenn's not there or, you know, maybe they were a big fan of certain villain and they're like, well, now that he's taken out, I don't really care or, um, TV shows. Yeah. It's it's a different relationship building. (laughs) T-Dog. Was that season two, maybe? (laughs) (laughs) It's the same thing with Lost. I stopped watching Lost when they killed off my favorite character. They killed Mr. Echo. I was done. I literally, I had no interest in the show. I didn't give a rat's ass about what happened to anybody else on that island. So, yeah, yeah that's the thing. I mean, it, they're great plot points, great development, great tension to kill off major characters. But, uh, you know, showrunners have to understand that, you know, like you said, Mike, we develop our, you know, these little relationships in our head with these characters. So we, we share a space with them. And if you take them from us, what is you know, what's the incentive to continue watching the show? So, yeah, yeah. Even, it, it, there's a yeah, given even, even, killing main characters, basically. Yeah, I can I can even go to a show like Dexter that I I pretty yeah. much loved until, like, I think the last two seasons. But the fact that Dokes went out in season two and you can tell that the writers kind of like they got the vibe from viewers that like, hey, without Dokes, you don't have that primary adversary for Dexter, who's also technically a good guy too. And they tried to replicate the Quinn for a while. It just wasn't the same because Dokes was just so fucking cool, you know? And And they took him out in such a lame way too. I I didn't like how they took him out. Uh, I was unhappy with that. I kept watching the show. I, I stayed with Dexter despite the last season being very Mm -hmm. underwhelming. I stuck with it. Dexter, you know, the first, in fact, I I still sit here and say that season four of Dexter is one of the greatest seasons of horror television ever. I, oh, yeah. The Trinity Killer. Holy shit. John Lithgow absolutely owned that season of Dexter. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, Dexter gave me one of my favorite seasons of television. So, you know, I stuck with it despite not being real happy, like. After the Edward James almost season, I was kind of done, but it's like, you know, literally just three years ago, this was my favorite thing in the world. What's that? Well, you could tell they struggled struggled to find any villain that could get anywhere close to Trinity Killer because it felt like up to season four, it, it was a constant build in that show. And then once four hit, it was a constant like decline as far as villains go and I, I think the reason the trinity killer hit so well that season and the finale is obviously because john lithgow is just a badass but the way the show ended was on, mm. on such a poignant point that it was Gun making punch. that with a person like dexter even when he wins he still loses because 
he puts everyone around him in danger because of the type of person he is with the dark passenger. Like it's, it's, there's short term good that can come out of what he's doing, but in the big picture, it's always going to inadvertently get the wrong people hurt. And you saw that before that and after, but I think nowhere. It will, I mean, once it happens to his wife and yeah. you know, how do you, how do you go more intense than that? And the fact uh. that, God, the way that, oh man, now I just want yeah. to watch that episode again. A lot of people, you know, they, a lot of people might misuse the term gut punch ending, but I mean, the sheer definition of gut punch is the, is the finale of season four. I literally felt like someone hit me in the stomach. My stomach, my, my, my insides were so tight from just clenching from tension. Like edge of your seat is hyperbole. Folks, I was literally on the edge of my seat for the whole season four finale. It's literally one of the one of the greatest single hours of television I think I've ever experienced. And, um, you know, I, I know we're sitting here talking about a show that, well, I mean, it, it is coming back for, you know, whatever that's worth. I, I'm not sure how I even feel about that after the final season. Maybe they'll re- they'll right the wrongs. But I, I got um, kind of excited for it because Clancy Brown's in it. That is true. That's valid. And like I said, since the original series ended so underwhelmingly for most fans, you know, most of us were kind of disappointed with that ending. Um, maybe they'll fix that with one or two more seasons of Dexter. Actually, what season give us- was Peter Weller in? I remember um, Peter Weller. Peter Weller was, God, was either is the fifth or the sixth, one of those two. Yeah, I like them. The fifth one was the photographer, the guy who was shooting models. Um, no, uh, no, I think five was giant. Yeah, giant. Yeah, giant Lee Miller. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right, Venom. It was that one. Okay, but yeah, I mean, I still liked five. I still liked six. I think it was right around season seven. Like I said, because I think season six was the it, Edward James almost season with with uh, with Colin Hanks. How That's, do I reach <laughs> this killer? Yeah, that season. And, and uh, the other problem with that with Colin the Colin Hanks. Edward James almost is like that twist. If you even call it that, you could see a mile away coming. Yeah, like I just, just like feel like running. No this. <laughs> My I'm Forrest Gump's son. I'm Colin Hanks. And there was nothing intimidating about Colin Hanks at all. Oh no, that's another. Problem. I just I'm in Orange County with Jack Black. It's like Mark Zuckerberg goes on a killing spree. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Oh well, he, no. he's, he's killing self-esteem daily, I guess. If you, yep. <laughs> if you want to put it like that, I look like my father with his eyeballs. <laughs> okay, have either of you seen the Chucky show at all yet? Fuck I still no. Haven't. I'd rather watch Dude, fucking Halloween fucking Kills again than that shit. No, I'm here. No, you would. Really no, you things, would. I do want to watch. No, you wouldn't. Halloween Kills is my second favorite of the franchise, so don't go there, Mike. Oh God. Oh Jesus. Well, it, that, it, that doesn't, it fin- it doesn't count put- though because you don't you don't hold the franchise up very high. It, it so finally it finally it pushed sense. my it finally pushed my original number two Halloween five out. Oh God! Oh my! See how do I even respond to that? Like okay, exactly. I mean if, 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 if five was your second favorite to begin with, I can see why Halloween Kills is not your second favorite. And, so that and, how, and, and my number one Halloween three. So there you go. Well, your number one should be Rob Zombie's Halloween two. I actually like that one better than part one. Wait, Rob Zombie's uh, Halloween one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, um, I, I, yeah, whatever. I just reviewed that. I don't, I don't really want to get into it again. I, I just finally started uh, to calm down like, from that conversation. Like, you know, you know, my bottom was is the one I reviewed on that same. Oh, Halloween water. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking, you know, I put that under resurrection. Tells you something. Nice. All right, we we got way off topic. <laughs> I have yeah. an excuse. I have a drink in my hand. You you guys have no excuses. <laughs> I just like oh. to anger Mike. That's my excuse. That's valid. Do I do I, I do I have a good excuse for not having much news? Not really. But it's Halloween. Do you guys they don't really, uh, they really ba- announce a lot of stuff uh, at oh, the end of October. You know. Besides Alec Baldwin becoming Dick Cheney all of a sudden. Stop that. <laughs> I'm not. I, I you know. Mrs. Oh, Mrs. Know. Venom was legitimately upset about that. Like she, she you got to realize, I, I, I'm not defending the man or whatever. I, I'm just uh, expressing a, you know, relaying a story. Um, yeah, Mrs. Venom was very upset about that. She loves Alec Baldwin. Now, yes, I know he's an imperfect human being. He's got issues from his past, but ultimately we're all imperfect. It's just none of us are celebrities, so people don't get to see our mistakes yeah. in the public forum. But yeah, my wife was genuinely upset about that. She loves that guy. And, you know, she's she's worried about his future mental health. I mean... Yeah, uh, the the guy that ended up shooting Brandon Lee in The Crow, he didn't act much after that. You know, he was barely uh, anything. So uh, hopefully, you know, that's not the fate for Alec Baldwin. But, you know, what are you going to yeah, do? Yeah, I only made that bad joke because it's all I've been fucking seeing on Facebook is bad jokes about yeah. him. Like, fucking <laughs> somebody lost their fucking mom. Yeah, I'm like, exactly. what the fuck is wrong with you people? You know, it's like, shut the fuck up and just let people fucking mourn you know like the, the sensationalism of the internet you know i mean i even have people on my facebook page that are very inflammatory you know sometimes i feel like they're doing it just for attention like you know being an asshole just for asshole sake but um yeah some some topics like i i will fully admit i'll still chuckle or maybe crack a smile when i see one of those but then after about two seconds i'm like ah he doesn't deserve that that's fucked up you know whatever so yeah yeah what are you gonna do and here we are on alec baldwin i thought this was a horror show oh <laughs> it's it's segue well, he, he, right? yeah, <laughs> he, yeah. he wasn't beetlejuice yeah he wasn't beetlejuice he was in that the, the juror with Demi Moore where you tried to stalk her. Fun. I'd stalk Demi Moore too. Well, in the nineties anyway. His brother was in vampires. Oh <laughs> God. Stop it. <laughs> Daniel. Speaking of fucked up people. Yeah, that's a story for another show. <laughs> oh jeez. Yeah. Alright, um, Mike, come on. Get the straight come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Uh I know people brought up that stupid petition about not killing firemen in Halloween kills, which I don't, I think it was almost a joke to begin with. Cause if you look at the, if you look at that petition, it said the goal was a hundred people. Now, even if they got a hundred people to sign that it'd be worthless because a hundred people are not going to sway it. But the, the funniest part was the person that reacted to that was another joke that said, 
people yeah, know but... the, the best the best part was the petition someone made in reaction to that that said kill more firemen and it got more <laughs> signatures than the one that said kill to take the firemen. <laughs> so. Damn. Was that was that Zachary's petition? Where, where, where were these people when they where were these people when they fucking had that scene in the wrestler where she's like, You want to party like a fireman and he made and Mickey Rourke fucked the girl in the ass and then he wakes up with fireman boots on and he's role playing and she has all fireman posters on her wall. Party uh, party like the fireman in Titan. Titan, that's right. Yeah. In the firehouse. Boy dance yeah. party. Boy dance party. Dance huh. dance boy dance. Oh god. Uh, oh man. But no yeah, one I don't got that really, I don't that movie. Yeah, like I said, the end of October, all the you know, all the big October releases are out or very cl- coming very very soon. They're they're not going to really put out a lot of like new information, which I appreciate. You know, let me enjoy the end of October without having to contemplate the latest hot take on Twitter or whatever. You know, so yeah, or Mike, or, yeah, hot takes. Okay, Mike's comments on most posts. <laughs> Shit, I wish. I wish I had some hot takes. I just say what I feel. That's it. Ain't no hot take. Because any, any hot take I supposedly have, I'll explain everything I have to say. So, <laughs> no hot take. <laughs> my, my, the biggest hot take I have is that most movies are just average to okay. That's my biggest hot take. And I repeat it a lot because that's just how I feel. But other than that... It's I, solid. I think I it's solid. Solid takes. <laughs> solid, solid, yeah, solid that's a solid Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So, I don't really have a burning question either. I. I, I guess. Uh. Oh. Here I was gonna ask because we were so we're recording on the day before Halloween. This year, Halloween falls on a Sunday. Now, obviously, by the time people are listening to this, Halloween will be past. But I am kind of interested because for sports fans, Venom. In this case, like, because tomorrow it's like, am I really not going to watch football? I'm still going to watch football. So how do you how do you organize like you're watching on a well, Sunday Halloween? Um, what you what you're not thinking about is the fact that I'm a software engineer for DirecTV and I'm working from home. I actually have three 4K televisions in my living room staring at me every day. So uh, literally tomorrow uh, uh, I'll, I'll be watching movies on the 65 inch. And then I'll be watching fo- one football game on each of the 42 inches. So, yeah, um, I-, I know it's not normal to have that many TVs in your house. Uh, I-, I can't imagine any normal person would do it unless they had a sports bar in their house. But, uh, Shoot, you know, house, you're talking one room, right? Yeah. Oh, one room in my living room. Literally, I'm sitting <laughs> yeah. at my desk, my podcasting. Right, I-, I like I could take a picture. And literally, I'm looking at three 4K televisions. None of them are on right now, obviously. I don't want to take up any bandwidth or power or anything. But, yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm one of the lucky few that since I have since I work for DirecTV and I work from home, I have multiple TVs and cable boxes here. So I literally never miss anything. <laughs> so that's how I'll deal with it, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could I could throw, like, um, the NFL on my like, laptop or something. Woo! <laughs> I'd have to turn my head. <laughs> I was I, I was thinking about that Venom too. Like I don't have multiple TVs in one room, but I could just like take the laptop to the living room, throw the NFL ticket on there, so I kind of have the games going off to the side, and then put movies on. Yeah, I got the TV. an iPad too. You know, I could always throw you know ESPN app on the iPad to watch whatever they're airing. 
blah, blah, blah. Oh, Amazon Prime also shows a football game every week. So if you have an Amazon Prime account, it, it's not usually a local game to your market, but it'll be like a nationally broadcast mm-hmm. game. At least it's an extra football game if you don't have cable, but you have Amazon Prime. Yeah. Uh, Prime Video. At least you get to watch one football game in 4K. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the the first year we moved into our house, uh, Halloween ended up on a Monday. And I remember, so in our front porch, we have like a little nook out there where you can put like, you know, a table and chairs. And I remember I set up the laptop with Monday Night Football on and I was just watching it and giving out candy why I watched football. Um, but this is the first time in this house where it's actually been on a Sunday. So we'll see. I mean, by the time trick or treating starts around here anyway, it'll be Sunday night football where yeah. with only one game on, it's not as big of a deal. I was just, you just curious, watch like, that on your phone while you're taking your kid trick or treating, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <sighs> Good times, Mike. Good times. All right. I think yeah. it's break time. Cause I haven't had a beer in like 17 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, my hands are starting to shake. <laughs> you want to take a break and talk some movies then? All Let's right. do it. We we will do that. So we'll be right back with our features. Which Venom? Did you even say what they were, or did I? Uh, I, don't, no, I don't think we did. I, I just but. said uh, a celebration of witches. But uh, folks, basically, these were my picks this month. I figured since this in it was intended to be our Halloween episode, which I guess technically still is, but we're go- we're going to be like the Simpsons and put out our Halloween episode in the first week of November. So it'll be yeah. our Thanksgiving harvest episode. There you go. Well, we so, we yeah. at least had the Halloween commentary special to be technically, I guess, a Halloween episode. That's true. So and, yeah, and it was a the, the movie turned out to be a lot better than I thought it would be. So that's all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but for today, yeah, it, are, the funny thing uh, is, I picked it because I had assumed you guys had seen it. Like, oh. I, I so didn't think it was a first time watch for you guys, or I wouldn't have picked it. But hey, it come on. Out it, fun, was the, it was the sleigh bells of the Halloween season. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think we actually did a pretty good commentary for it being the first time watch for three of the four. So. Those are usually the more fun ones. Like, come on, man. Honestly, yeah. If it's a subpar movie that we've never seen before, I'd rather watch it for the first time as a commentary. You know, it's not like we're watching The Godfather or something. So, Oh, imagine we did The Godfather. That would be a scary Halloween special. (laughs) You see this scene here? I put cotton balls in my mouth right now. And and then then I ate some shrimp with the cotton balls in. I'll be a boyfriend now, Nancy. I'll be your birthday now, Nancy. Derek and Marlon Brando. <laughs> Not bad. All right. So uh, anyway, back to today's episode. I wanted to bring up um, a couple of witch movies that maybe are under-discussed or underappreciated. You know, we try to bring, you know, the more obscure films here. So what we decided to do was 1972's Season of the Witch, written and directed by Mr. George A. Romero, one of his, of course, non-zombie films that maybe doesn't get talked about as much. So that'll be our first movie for tonight. And then our second feature review is going to be 2013's Witchin' and Bitchin' from Alec, uh, Alex de la Iglesias, who is the same man who directed 1995's The Day of the Beast. If you heard my review of that film on Gary Hill's 
uh, 31 Days of Howling Beast series. You know how much I love that one. So it was a no-brainer to bring to bring Witchin' and Bitchin' to the table. It also has such a great title, Witchin' and Bitchin'. Come on. Yes. How, how and, awesome is that? And we get to talk about some big old titties. Oh, gigantic. <laughs> but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about all that after the break, folks. The least qualified person to understand a dream is the dreamer, which brings us to you. Jeez, Tony, you scared the hell out of me. <laughs> Chalice, durable knives, they're all witches' tools, you know. Well, I'm just interested in it. I don't know. You, you're, you're the one. I'm a witch. Son of a. No soy un árbol. Un hombre desnudo. Un soldado verde. Un niño. Es el elegido. No, chaval, ¿tú estás loco? Silvia, perdona. A ver, me, te pregunto yo lo que le das de merendar al niño. La brujería, el concepto nació aquí. Barrer no, desde luego. Pero ellas nunca piensan lo que parece que piensan. ¿Quién que piensan? No lo sé, pero piensan otra cosa. ¿Y nosotras qué somos? Una chica de tu edad lo que tiene que hacer es drogarse. Folla como una perra, miente todo lo que puedas engañar a los hombres que estás en la edad. Ha llegado el momento de la venganza. ¿A dónde vais? A impedir que tu madre destruya la civilización occidental. ¿Te parece bien? ¡Ayuda! ¡Y hará justicia! ¡Justicia! ¿Pero qué dices? ¡Tú eres idiota! ¿Que me dejo llevar? Pero las brujas no me dan miedo. A mí lo que me dan miedo son los hijos de... 
All right, folks, welcome back to our feature reviews. Mike has made the absolutely glorious mistake of letting me drive the bus because these were my picks, which I absolutely intended to do. But of course, I am about seven fat tires into my 12 pack. So uh, this ought to be fun. So (laughs) join me, won't you? All right. So first, we're going to look at George A. Romero's 1972 film season of the witch uh this one's a long one folks it's over two hours we're looking at uh right around two hours actually for the most part um and you know a fairly basic synopsis a neglected unhappy suburban housewife gets mixed up in witchcraft with unexpected consequences of course we're watching a horror film so we know there's going to be unexpected consequences um, I'm going to go ahead first for this one, since uh, if I drink too much, uh, I'm not going to be very uh, discernible. So let's go with that. Um, Season of the Witch. This is a movie that I saw for the first time in the 80s. And I remember not liking it. I remember thinking it was just dull. Nothing really happens. Like literally the most exciting thing that happens in the whole movie happens in the last five seconds. Um, like I said, this was my mentality when I saw it the first time. Um, like I said, I was young. I was a teenager. I wanted blood. I wanted gore. I wanted, you know, way more sex than this movie provides. So, um, but in recent years, I've watched it again with more critical eyes. And I got to say, despite this movie not being for everyone, this is definitely not going to be something that all genre fans gravitate towards help. Even not all witch movie fans are going to really be into this one. It's it's got a very slow pace at times. Um, It really is a character study. You know, it's a character study of a kind of ignored, marginalized housewife who, you know, obviously sees grander things for herself. But because of her role in the family and the household, you know, she's kind of stuck being a, you know, housewife, stay at home housewife, pretty dull. Um, you know, we get a lot of the same tropes, uh, as I've already said, you know, women being ignored, marginalized, women kind of taking control of their own power and, you know, fulfilling dreams and desires that they've had in the past. And this this movie is no different um, as our housewife. Uh, basically, our movie opens up with uh, what, like five to ten minutes of just random j- dream sequence slash hallucinations showing um, our main character in different scenes of being ignored, being abused, um, basically just being looked at as not even necessarily a piece of meat, because it almost seems like she has very repressed sexual desire that her husband is not fulfilling. So, you know, uh, just a lot of scenes, kind of surreal, dreamlike scenes like that, which, you know, kind of lays uh, the groundwork for what we're about to see. So for me, the high point of this movie is its star, uh, Jan White. I think her performance is great, very sullen, um, though still oddly like sexual and attractive, despite being, you know, a housewife in her 40s. She still has this kind of air about her of this repressed sexuality that maybe she didn't get to expend in her 20s um, that she's still kind of harboring and, you know, kind of wants to let out. So. You know, she kind of finds herself attracted to the wrong guy, a young professor who's, you know, um, very much a free spirit, you know, wild at heart, if you will, not tied down by anything other than his professorship at the local university. 
And, you know, she ends up falling for this guy. They end up, you know, through nefarious efforts on her part, potions, spells, things like that. She's able to get him involved in her life. Throughout the film, she has a recurring dream of being raped, of someone breaking into her house and violating her sexually, um, you know, which really kind of just adds to the, uh, how can it just like almost the PST, uh, the PTSD factor of the whole thing. Even though this woman hasn't really gone through any major trauma, the fact that she has all these rep- repressed feelings almost look like a form of it. Like she's, it, it's almost driving her crazy, if you will. So like I said, she's got this recurring dream of being violated and the whole thing kind of culminates in a big, you know, fiery, well, not maybe not fiery, but uh, a very juicy little scene at the end of the film that, of course, ends up being a misunderstanding. But uh, I won't get too spoilery. I'll let Derek and Mike decide if they want to flat out give away the ending. But uh, ultimately, it is a 1972 movie. This film is almost as old as uh, your boy, Mr. Venom here. So. Um, obviously, spoiler warning in effect, but uh, let's go to Mike. Mike, um, was this your first watch? And uh, if so, uh, well, either way, what did you think of Season of the Witch? So it wasn't my first watch, but it was definitely my first watch in a long time. Like, I, I roughly remembered the movie, um, kind of what it was about, but I was pretty young when I saw it. A lot of the themes of it kind of skipped over yeah. my head. Um I think it's important. I think you touch on a little bit the the era that this movie is made in seventy two. So we're still really in the midst of like, would you say this was like uh, first wave feminism or maybe breaking into second wave? And um, I mean, there, yeah, it follows there, the sexual revolution by about what four or five yeah. years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a lot of the themes, it follows the way the horror genre tend. Well, I guess there's. When it comes to witches in horror, you know, the character of a witch or witches covens or whatever, there's usually two ways that it goes in horror. And it's not limited to two ways, but we see two major ways. There's either like the straight up stereotypical evil witches out there, you know, evil witches looking to kill babies and use their fat to live forever or whatever and spells and all that. And then there's this kind of other way that you see in a lot of like non-exploitation and even American witch films as well, where a lot of it is metaphorical and allegories for oppression and the whole witch thing is just kind of like breaking free from patriarchy. And I think that it's especially um, on display here, you know, because you look at Romero as a filmmaker just across the board and it seems like whatever, subject he's tackling in his movies there's always more going on than what's on the surface you know this movie even it it's straight up called season of the witch but you're not gonna get like you know tons of seasons of no. you know uh, evil witches going to witch meetings and doing spells and all that because it's not really the main crux of the movie this mm-hmm. is it's more this movie's representing more than just the character itself it's i think it's more representing kind of like the the bored unfulfilled housewives of the time thinking we've been wasting away our whole life as you know i, I guess second class citizens in a sense to where they put their life they basically they get out of high school maybe college and basically put their life on hold to become 
a wife and whatever is considered wife duties at the time. That's basically what their life turns out to be. Mm-hmm. And I think this era, it, it, once again, art reflecting life. I think in this movie, you're seeing the beginnings of the rejection of that, the unfulfillment and how to, how do we change things? And in this movie, it's, it's kind of subtle at first, like, Oh yeah, look into this witch stuff, but really it's not so much. I want to become this evil witch and, you know, live forever and rule over men. It's more just, I want to break free from this system that I felt forced into by society. And in that sense, I think it's, a really interesting movie. It, I will say it's very dry in its approach. You mm-hmm. know, um, you know, it's it's a lot of camera shots of you know rea- We get a lot of reaction shots to conversations, almost yeah. like the the main character feeling like you know she is just a bit player in her life, almost because what important things is she doing as this housewife, other than being you know a wife to her husband. Um, Something we we actually saw a movie this year that I kind of felt covered a lot of the similar themes. Uh, Jacob's wife, um, obviously they used vampire or vampirism in that mm-hmm. one, but I think there were similar themes going on because in Jacob's wife, Barbara Crampton playing the wife felt unfulfilled in her life and all that kind of stuff. So you know I'll leave that there. Don't want to get into Jacob's wife too much, but um, I this movie it's a it's a weird one to recommend only because like i said it's very dry in its approach the horror is more in its themes than what you see on screen yes we do get a few scenes of you know actual what you would call like horror stuff going on mm-hmm. but man it's almost like a political movie i i would almost say it's directed by romero it's written by romero so just on that alone going over his like, you know, filmography, you would almost expect it to be the type of movie it is. Now it's, it's not going to have like the over the top fun that like his zombie movies had. That's, that's right. It's, this isn't like a witch version of like night of the living dead. So you're not going to get that from this movie, but I think this movie, it's almost more important to like see just one time just to, just to see how Romero – I guess I'm more interested in the way Romero um, attacks these issues that he's going for in this and what he's trying to say with the way he wrote the movie. To me, that's what makes the movie really interesting. Um, is it great? I, I can't call it like a great movie necessarily, but I do it, – it, it kept me – uh, engaged because I was very, I, I was very interested by like how a man, like a male would write, uh, like a feminist movie in the 1970s as like in the era of feminism. Right. Because this isn't like mm-hmm. something that's being written in modern times that's reflecting on it. And we, you know, I think there's a difference between you're writing something covering past events when you have all the perspective, you have all the events that came afterwards, but this, this was actually written and directed in the midst of this era. So you can see, you know, the almost like the frustration from the characters, but there were, it probably was like in the actor or the actresses themselves. Like they probably felt it like they they probably felt they were making something important at the time. So I think that alone, um, or that aspect alone makes this an interesting watch that, you know, everyone should see at least once. I would say, but I, you know, I, I did like it. It's just, you kind of have to be prepared for a much 
more dry approach than some of his other works. Yeah, I mean, Season of the Witch is definitely more George Romero's Martin than it is George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. You know, it's not, but even Martin compared to this has a lot more action and quote unquote horror set pieces um, than Season of the Witch. But it's still a little bit more um, where Martin is also a character study. As I mentioned, you know, Season of the Witch is very much a character study of this, you know, repressed woman and her day to day life and what she does to try to get out of that monotony. Um, And like I said, Martin is a lot like that, too. This boy dealing with a desire to drink blood who thinks he's a vampire in a world where vampires aren't a real thing, or at least not the cinematic vampires that we know and love. So, uh, again, much more a character study as opposed to Night of the Living Dead, which is, of course, straight, visceral, action-packed horror. So, yeah, a very valid point there. Um, Derek, why don't you come on in? Tell me what you think of Season of the Witch. Season of the Witch. <laughs> it's like the third time I heard this song in a movie this fucking year, month. Yeah, exactly three. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> For me. <laughs> yeah, because I did uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Yep. It's like the opening song. This movie. I forget the other movie I heard it in. Um, It's, oh, God damn it. I want to say it's that TV movie with the teeth fa- with the tooth fairies. Oh, okay. Don't, don't be afraid of the dark. Yeah. I think I think that's it. Makes sense. Same. But they don't period. play the whole song like they do here or in Scary Tales. I yeah, it's like American Tales. Girl and Silence of the Lambs. Exactly. Yep. 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 Yeah. But uh, yeah, first time watch for me. I always want to. I was always intrigued by this movie because I used to see like the old DVD cover, which mm-hmm. you know the season of the witch poster or uh, Anchor Bay put out and. Uh, yeah, every night is Halloween, which yeah, that this movie doesn't even take place on Halloween, which is, <laughs> I would have been kind of pissed if I saw this back in the day with that post. <laughs> that valid. But, uh, I mean, that's probably how I felt when I saw it the first time. You know, back in the early to mid eighties, I just I, I, I like I was questioning why it was a horror movie. Like, what makes it a horror? But obviously, as the years went by, I recognized it. Like Mike said, it's more about its themes than you know, uh, what you're actually looking at on screen. Yeah. And, uh, very interestingly enough, because I actually watched the arrow Blu-ray, this movie and the title hungry wives comes up. I'm like, all, I'm, <laughs> all of a sudden I'm like hungry. wives. <laughs> That's funny because the version of this that I watched was called Jack's wife. So apparently this movie has three titles because the version I saw did not say Season of the Witch or Hungry Wives. It had a title card that said Jack's Wife. So I'm like, all right, three titles. Yeah, and I think, I think I mean, like Jack's Wife would almost be appropriate. And that would be like a play like, I, you know, I brought up Jacob's Wife, almost similar thing, where even yeah. just calling it Jack's Wife would get the point across of kind of the woman's P or the wife's POV going into the movie, kind of like that's how she feels. She has no identity. She has nothing that makes her, her except being Jack's wife in this case. Yeah. And the, the thing about the movie is, you know, there's actually a thing where he actually, this, this movie was actually more pornographic when it first came out. <laughs> he actually cut a lot of the pornographic shit out of it. Uh, which makes sense how the sex scenes are filmed. Uh, by the way, the the daughter of this movie, she's a fucking little whore. <laughs> you know, it's like she's just banging her teacher and her mom's like, 
what is wrong with her? You know, like and this teacher dude. I'm like, why are you lusting over this dude? This dude's a fucking piece of shit. Yeah, but he's a sh- he's one of those swarmy, confident pieces of shit that a lot of girls kind of like. So yeah, so he's like the academia he, piece of shit. Yeah, he's yeah he can he can throw around a, a few quotes from a few philosophers, and then the ladies' mm-hmm. panties drop. Yeah, he, he's definitely like Donald Sutherland in Animal House. <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah, but, he's, uh, like, he's like every stereotypical liberal arts college <laughs> professor, you know. Yeah, but uh, I found it very interesting, like, the the whole beginning of the movie, because there's a lot of imagery that I was like, what the fuck is, you know, like, is very nightmare logic shit. It's like some phantasm bullshit going on mm-hmm. right now. But, like, her being, it's very metaphorical, though. And I, you know, I was wondering, like, because they show, like, a baby in one scene, and I was actually listening to the commentary that's on the Arrow Blu-ray, and they said that there's actually a deleted scene where they actually talk about there was actually this couple, this husband and wife, had an infant son that died, and that's what that was supposed to represent. I figured it. I mean, w- without that deleted scene, I assumed it was a reference to her greatest desire because it seemed like she really wanted a child, but without really like pushing on it, you know, she obviously yeah. wanted other stuff too, you know, the sexual freedom, the sense of power and everything else. But I think, you know, deep down, she also kind of, you know, kind of regretted the fact that she's now not likely, at least in, not in 1972, uh, uh, still of birthing age, you know? I mean, back in the seventies, if you were like yeah. 38, it was unheard of to have a child. I mean, obviously, it's a lot more common now with, you know, med- medical science advancing and everything. But, yeah, that, that's how I took it. You know, I'm probably wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I'm drinking. Yeah, I, I found it very interesting, this movie. Like, yeah, it plays more like a character piece. And I do agree it's kind of dry, but I was kind of in for the ride for it because I was just, like, intrigued, like, Shake it like twisting my head slowly, like like a little bird, like like watching this movie, and you know, you know, I was just like, is she gonna become a witch now? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, you know, for it, me, I mean, Jan White's okay. performance kept me kept my interest. You know, yeah. even in the scenes that were like quiet and maybe not a whole lot is going on, um, just her performance in general. She's got a great stage pre- or a film uh, screen presence, you know. Even though she is playing this kind of marginalized woman, when she's in a room filled with those old biddies, she still kind of has a radiance to her. She's still she's obviously the prettiest in her circle because she's hanging out with housewives that are a good 10, 20 years older than her. But um, it's still just something about the way she carries herself, even early in the film before she finds her confidence, um, just the way that she carries herself, the way that she speaks for me. That is what kept me in the movie. I'm like you. I, I was riveted the whole time. I was never bored, and it was Jan White's performance. Yeah, and, you know, it's like, you know, then things happen that happen, and, you know, I I will say I, the husband, who actually was in the next George Romero movie after this, The Crazy, he actually plays, I think he plays like a senator or politician. I, nice. I, ironically enough, that character I called when I, I actually did a review of the crazies a while back with uh, mm-hmm. Carly on celluloid dissections where we talked about Ed and shit. And where uh, I mentioned, why does this guy look like fucking Donald Trump? 
like <laughs> because that movie is very relevant to what happened the year we reviewed that movie, you know. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't even by fucking purpose. That was just by fucking accident because COVID was starting to hit when we were playing that episode, mm. you know. And, yeah, he's Donald Trump forever, and he's a piece <laughs> of shit in this movie, too. And yeah, the fucking the men in this movie are all the same. And you know, I yeah. I like the 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 ghostly intruder character she keeps saying, who is played yeah. by Mister Bill Heisman. I should mention the original Night of the Living Dead zombie himself, uh, which is cool. And yeah, it's just an intriguing movie. And you know, actually, the commentator said that this is even George Romero said this is the first movie that he said felt like his own movie. Wow. Because if you know, night of the living dead was co-written with John Russo. Sure. Sure. And the other, because he's still making this during the time period where he's working for his own television, the television company that he's out in Pittsburgh. Yep. Yeah. And even the, the movie after this was a comedy that wasn't even written by him. You know, in the sense where it was like, there's always something that's vanilla. I I actually never seen that one. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, that's very interesting aspect because, yeah, there is a lot of things that are Romero in this movie. Even, you know, later on in his career, like they even like his later zombie movies are character pieces in a sense. So you get you get to see the sense where. Even like Night of the Living Dead is a character piece, but you know, Russo added like all that weird science fiction things to the zombie <laughs> movie in Night of the Living Dead. You know, it, it's very interesting in that aspect where it's it plays on a lot of later day Romero movies. It's kind of like a test movie for him in that sense. I can see that, yeah. Yeah, but I overall enjoyed my experience, and I'm glad I picked it up. It's one to, you know, I might not go back to as much, but I'll I'll throw it on here and there, you know? Yeah, it's definitely an acquired taste. I mean, it's definitely not something you're throwing on because you want to watch a great witch movie. Not to say that it's not a great witch movie. It It's still a really good movie, Um if we can teeter into great territory might be the argument, but I, I think it's a really, really well-made film. As I've already said, these performances, specifically Jan White's, but ultimately everyone in the movie, the, the Schwarmy professor, um, again, the way he exudes confidence and control, even though because of what we're seeing behind the scenes, we know he's not in as much control as he thinks he is, you know, obviously with um, Joan, uh, performing these spells, these uh, creating these potions, things like that, which are kind of forcing uh, the professor's hand. Uh, what the hell was his name? Greg. 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 He yeah. even has an asshole name. Yeah, Greg with two Gs. That That's a big asshole right there. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, like I said, uh, just these performances for the most part really, really work for me. They kept my interest. Even in the scenes where it's just people sitting around talking, um, the scene with the practical joke, the, the marijuana, the practical joke that, you know, kind of goes sideways a little bit for its, its target, but you know, oh God, that's depending on who you are, that, that scene is equal parts painful or hysterical. It just depends on what side of the fence you kind of land on when it comes to cannabis and, and its use. But, 
Um, you know, I, I kind of found it funny as hell, even though it is a cruel thing to do to someone. Um, for anyone who hasn't seen the film, basically there's a scene where Greg, our douchebag professor, um, takes this filter off of a regular cigarette, a regular tobacco cigarette. He cuts the filter off it and it wraps it like a joint. And he convinces one of Joan's older, like, housewife friends that it's a joint and they smoke it. And, you know, it's kind of a social experiment, if you will. But, yeah, um, the expected result is exactly what happens. The friend acts like she's stoned. She starts freaking out. Eventually, you know, when everybody leaves, Joan tells her it wasn't a joint. It was a practical joke. She feels embarrassed, blah, 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 blah. But even in that scene, which honestly shouldn't work in a film like this, because, I mean, what the hell does it have to do with witchcraft? You can say that there might be an allegory there that, um, you know, witchcraft is, you know, 50 percent mental. You have to believe that you can do it to be able to do it. But um, again, this is, you know, my drunk brain kind of rambling on ideas here. But um, for the most part, as I've already said, really, really enjoyed this movie. Um uh, like I said, not something that I'm going to return to that often during, Oct- especially during October when the options are so plentiful. But um, ultimately, if you're a fan of character studies, maybe slow burn. It's really hard to even call this movie slow burn because even most slow burns have a big payoff at the end. And depending on how you look at the end of this film, it may not be the big payoff that you kind of want in, in a slower movie. Like, you know, if we look at 2015's The Witch. Um, you know, Robert Eggers masterpiece, that movie, basically not a whole lot goes on throughout in a, in a supernatural way until we get to that last scene. And it's like, holy shit, you know, uh, well, depending on how it hits you, for me, it was a holy shit moment for other people. It might be a what the fuck moment or whatever. But um, this movie, my point is, is that this movie doesn't really have a payoff ending like that. So. You know, go, go as Mike has already said, go into it knowing that it's going to be slower, that it's going to be a character study, that it's going to be more story driven and dialogue driven than action driven. So if you're prepared in that way, I think uh, most people will enjoy this one. If you can stand the two hour runtime and if you know, if you get the original version with all the sex, I think it comes out to like two hours and 15 minutes long. So it's a long one, but that's well weird because the version I watched is only an hour and a half. Uh, the version I watched was an hour and 50 minutes. But yeah, IMDb Arrow... says that this is over two hours, so there's yeah, the must Arrow be something else. Is only an hour and a half. Hour and a half. Yeah, really? it was about it. It was about a ninety minute version what I watched, not two hours and ten minutes for sure. Oh man, the one I watched was an hour and fifty. Um, so I figured mm. there's a version with more scenes. You know, Derek mentions the sex that was cut out. Maybe that's it. But yeah, I think that's Jack's wife. For I, I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, that's the thing, too. The version I watched was was called Jack's Wife, for whatever that's worth. So, And like I said, definitely, it was like an hour and 49 minutes, some, something along those lines. So it was almost an hour 50. So maybe but, get the Arrow version. Yeah, hell yeah. There you go. That's probably going to be the definitive version regardless. Arrow is fucking awesome. So, yeah, I, I would definitely say pick that up if you're into these types of films. Uh, gentlemen, any last words about Season of the Witch? I would say grab the Arrow Blu-ray, too, because it has an awesome sit-down with Guillermo del Toro interviewing George Romero on it. Oh, shit. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, man. I got to see if that's on YouTube. That is fucking cool. Very nice. Yeah. 
I, I would just say, you know, if you're a fan of Romero's zombie movies and you haven't seen his other films, because, you know, he's just so known for his uh, undead movies that I think often people forget that he has made other stuff. And if you like movies um, that, you know, carry a little something there under the surface, then check this out. And I think it's a movie very of its time. And even though certain themes are still relevant today, obviously, you know, I brought up Jacob's wife. They're still kind of making movies in this same vein now because there's still ongoing issues like this, but it, I, I think it's 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 worth seeing a movie that tackles these issues like right in the midst of that era. And I thought Romero did a pretty good job at like writing the movie. Yeah, I actually like that comparison to Jacob's Wife because even though Jacob's Wife isn't as much a character study at its you know at its core, it is. And um, the only major difference ultimately is going to be that Jacob's wife is actually visceral. We actually get the blood and the gore that you would expect from a vampire film. Whereas this one is a little bit more subtle with its horror. It's a little bit, you know, more tame, almost comes off like a TV movie at times because there's barely Mm -hmm. any bad language in it. But like I said, if you... you're going to enjoy it. Yeah. And the settings are definitely different because Jacob's wife is more like small town religious undertones where the white, you know, everyone in this movie, or at least our main kind of core characters, they're living a pretty semi bougie ass life, you know, for the time. They're not like (laughs) struggling or anything, but I think it goes to show that like, basically at the time you know women were giving up their own autonomy in exchange for well you know i'll live a pretty decent life just going along with the the way the system is but that isn't good enough you know ultimately so uh yeah i think it's it it might make a good actual double feature season of the witch and jacob's wife hungry wives That would be yeah, I'm down with that. That'd be that would be an awesome double feature. Start Jack, with season of the witch though. Jack's <laughs> and, wife versus Jacob's wife. Oh, Jacob's wife would crush her. <laughs> her big titties. That I want All to right. suck on. <laughs> well, speaking of big titties, let's go ahead and jump to our Enormous next titties. <laughs> Enormous, <laughs> monumental, if you will. Oh, so, those ones have like, little rips in them, though. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, so, of course, we are talking about 2013's Witching and Bitching, um, as I mentioned earlier, written and directed by Alex de la Iglesia, who also wrote uh, Day of the Beast, which is also another favorite of mine. Um, the synopsis for this one goes as follows. A gang of armed robbers finds a safe haven in a secluded village crammed with witches, only to encounter the bizarre, the unexpected, and the occult. Can they save themselves and the rest of the world from the next witch apocalypse? Hey, that ain't bad for being eight beers deep. All right. I can read. Nice. R.I.P. SpongeBob. <laughs> All right. So, um, witching and bitching. I mean, where do we start? This is uh, this is definitely one of the more fun uh, horror films that you're going to watch. Uh very much an action horror film. I mean, the first good 45 minutes to an hour is just a straight action film. Uh, Basically, Jose and his little gang of toughs uh, rob a cash for gold establishment. They find, uh, they basically find one that's not very well guarded, blah, blah, blah. 
and um, they escape from the police, but they, of course, they end up going to a town that is synonymous for its witchy activity, if you will. They end up stopping at a very Star Wars cantina-esque bar with all sorts of wacky characters. Maybe, you know, no aliens or anything like that, but just uh, just an array of crazy, nutty characters that uh, ultimately end up being part of the, the big conspiracy, which, as it turns out, it is a coven of witches that is uh, basically getting together for their annual uh, get together where they try to revive the mother, if you will. They call they call the character <laughs> the mother, who is the epic monumental character that we kind of alluded to earlier. Uh, but we'll get to her. And um, it, it just kind of turns into just a fun action horror film, very reminiscent of like a demon night or feast, something like that, where there's still a lot of visceral gore and blood, but it's still wrapped in a, a, a kind of an action comedy movie package. Um, this movie isn't labeled as a horror comedy, but there is a lot of intentional comedy specifically from our robbers who are, of course, bumbling criminals who don't really know what they're doing. They end up carjacking a taxi on the way uh, on their escape from the city. Um, they, they do. Uh, this is all taking place in Madrid, Spain. Uh, once they rob the cash for gold establishment, they end up running to the border of France to try to obviously get away, start a new life out there. Uh, the one thing that I failed to mention is that Jose has been dragging his 10 year old son around with him during the robbery, during the escape, during pretty much the entire film. Uh, he is dragging his son around because unfortunately he only get, um, his wife and he are divorced. Uh, they have split custody. He gets to see his son two days a week. And as he explains it, I'm not going to give up a day with my son just because we're going to rob a store. So I decided to take him with us. So, yeah, we've got a 10 year old kid um, wielding dual badass pistols, by the way, quite expertly, I might add. Um and like I said, a lot of the comedy kind of comes from there, the wacky characters that they meet along the way on their journey. Um, this movie, to me, is the the absolute antithesis of the first movie we watched, whereas the first movie, um, you know, is more an allegory, a metaphor for a woman who's, you know, like I said, been marginalized, ignored, repressed, and who's like finding her voice, her strength, her power. This movie is just is the other kind of witch movie that Mike talked about. Just absolutely nutty witches cooking human flesh in large cauldrons. Um, this movie, in my opinion, has next to no subtext. This movie is very upfront with its message. Um, man, as you guys were watching this, did anybody get the impression that this movie hates women? <laughs> I, I don't think anyone says a positive word about the, either the, the female gender or any particular woman at all in this movie. This is a very misogynistic, I don't want to say misogynistic in the sense that it's problematic because that's part of the comedy. I think, I think, I think that's, you know, part of wh why it's so funny is that literally these witches are all just bloodthirsty. They just want to eat human flesh and rule the world. And they want to awaken the mother because she will be, 
their leader into their great new world when they take over, blah, blah, blah. And boy, the mother, I, I won't start talking about the mother yet. We'll, we'll talk about it collectively after we get through our general thoughts. But uh, that's it for me for general thoughts. Overall, I love this movie. It's not a 10 out of 10 by any stretch of the imagination, but I adore this film. It's one of the most fun horror watches that I, you know, still enjoy. And um, yeah, this is easily an annual watch for me. Maybe not an October watch necessarily, but, you know, since it is a, a witch movie and that was our topic for the week, I went ahead and picked it. So let's go to Derek. Uh, Derek, what do you think of Alex de la Iglesia's Witchin' and Bitchin'? Oh, this is a total 10 out of 10 for me. This movie's <laughs> awesome. You know, uh, uh, Jose, <laughs> I actually seen him in a few movies before. Uh, he's in this uh, kind of like mystery thriller from Spain called The Body, which was kind of interesting. Uh, it also co-stars the chick from The Orphanage. Uh, yeah. yeah who play, It's called The Body, and she plays the body. Uh, it's not really a spoiler, but, uh, yeah, good stuff there. And, uh, yeah, I love the whole heist aspect of this movie. I love that. We, it's hilarious that it's weird because this movie in wreck three came out the same year and they both have like SpongeBob SquarePants characters in them. <laughs> That's right. You know, but, uh, yeah, I like that. And the, you know, I was like, does Spain hate SpongeBob? What the fuck's going on? <laughs> that's what I was thinking while watching this. But, uh, yeah, that's a, besides the point. But I just like that whole scene. Yeah, I love that he brought his kid into it. And, uh, yeah, and uh, Jose's ex-wife, Sylvia, who's played by Macarena Gomez, who <laughs> I, abso- I absolutely love. That, uh, th- th- I felt so bad for this kid because his parents, his parents are fucked up in two completely opposite ways. Whereas his mother is a responsible parent. She's an absolute cunt for the first 20 minutes of this movie. She just yeah. hates, she pisses on everybody. She's a nurse too, mind you. And she's seen um, literally throwing pills at the, at the people rather than handing them to them, literally just throwing them their pills Uh, And then finally she finds out what's going on with her son and her ex-husband and the shit hits the fan, of course. But then the dad, who actually does care about his kid and is willing to do whatever he can, uh, is a a criminal. He's basically a common thief. You know, he doesn't have a real job or at least doesn't have one right now. Uh, But ultimately, everything that he does is for his son. Whereas I felt like with the mom, it felt like everything she did was to spite the husband, which... Obviously, we see that in a lot of divorces, blah, blah, blah. But, I, yeah, I remember hating Sylvia's character on first watch in this movie for, like, the first 20 minutes. But, yeah, by, by about halfway through the movie, when she shows up in the town, she totally redeems the character and, and ends up becoming, yeah, a, a really likable character, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I just love the actress in general. I, I remember mm-hmm. one of her first movies was Stuart Gordon's Dagon. Nice. Oh, that's right. That was she was the queen, right? Yeah, she was the octopus lady. Yeah. Ah, oh, she was so young. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, and she and she was uh, recently in uh, Laurie Brewster's The Black Loves, uh, which I liked. Uh, she's in a few movies that I've seen over the, like Shrews and that's on Netflix. Hmm. Yeah, and she was in the uh, Thirty Coins, uh, the Alex the Iglesias show oh, that did on HBO. Right. Yeah, but uh, 
Yeah, I, I like that. It's a very interesting dynamic with those characters, like you said. And then this gets fucking crazy and crazy. Like when they get to this cantina and they just go in that bathroom and you see that eyeball. <laughs> like, <laughs> whoa! And then we meet that character later. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. This, you know, even the cops are fun in this movie. They're hilarious. They're like a bickering couple. It's great. That's true. I forgot to mention that cops and horror movies usually annoy me. They're usually either unnecessary comic relief or they're so serious that they just come off like shitty douchebags. But these two cops, I think, is the perfect blend. They they are comic relief, but something about it, it just comes off very natural to hear one of them, you know, argue that we're the same fucking rank. Why do you constantly shout orders to me? This isn't fair. Blah, blah, blah. Like, it seems like a conversation they would have. So yeah. the, the relationship felt organic and the characters did as well. Yeah, and then we get introduced to Ava, the, <laughs> the queen of the weird, crazy vampire ladies. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Carolina Bang, who was in Alex de Iglesias' previous movie, The Last Circus, mm-hmm. uh, who's now his wife. They got married a year after this movie. Nice. Lucky man. Yeah. That's all I'll say. He's like, she's like the Sonia Sono wife of this movie. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, wicked hot, and, you know, she looks scary, and, you know, like you said, or like, like she looks scary and crazy in one scene, but then she's like, hey, how you doing? I want to fuck her in the yeah. next scene. You yeah, know? she played evil slash sexy really, really well. Yeah. And then there's uh, her brother, Lewis, who's the guy in the toilet. And he's actually played, played by, by yeah. Oh, go Har- ahead, Harvey Patet. Yeah, my we, second favorite creature actor. <laughs> yeah, who we usually see, like you said, in prosthetics. It was like, oh, we get to see his face in this one. That's cool. And it looked like he had a really good time with this role. Like it looked like he was having fun, just being kind of silly, goofy. Um, you know, kind of standoffish at times, but then other times, like, he would crack a sly smile when something would happen that he wasn't supposed to laugh at. I yeah. think this is a great performance, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And, you know, it's like, this is my time to shine. Eat this, Doug Jones. I don't have to do everything in makeup either. <laughs> <laughs> well, he still had makeup on, but you get to see his face more in this one, you know. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, uh... Like you said, like everyone being misogynistic, it's just very ironic that a little spoiler. Uh, it's very ironic that these characters would run into a coven of witches that worship a fertility god. Mm-hmm. You know, in that sense, you know, because uh, the the way that this thing looks like, it looks like the fertility statue of Rawhead Rex. <laughs> That's the first oh, thing geez. I thought of when I saw her. You know, <laughs> you know. But, uh, yeah, good stuff. But uh, it's a blast of a movie, and I had super, like, I love a lot of this guy's movies. Uh, uh, some are better than others, and, you know, actually the one that I think is probably his worst movie is The Oxford Murders, which is that dry mystery thriller that he did with Elijah Wood and John Hurt in it. Mm, That's just a weird movie yeah, it's just weird that he did a movie with Elijah Wood and John Hurt. <laughs> what? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Which? Yeah. It, it's not bad. It's just like it's 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 very not his type of sure. movie. You know, yeah. in that sense. Uh, 
But uh, overall, witching bitching, fucking buy this shit, motherfuckers. Yeah, this is a buy, absolutely. Especially because it's not an easy movie to find. Um, if you can find that Blu-ray, it usually runs about twenty twenty-five bucks, but uh, it is well worth it. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to say that it's going to make every single horror fan happy necessarily, but I mean, like I said, if you're a fan of just over-the-top, silly, you know, storylines, crazy characters. One character that actually gets eaten little by little throughout the movie, but somehow survives the film. Oh, my God. Fucking comedy genius right there. Uh, uh, So, yeah, let's go ahead and bring in Mike before people get sick of listening to me and Derek, you know, blow this movie. So, Mike. Mike's going to be like, it's solid. (laughs) It's a solid witch movie. Mike, what'd you think of Witching and Bitching? Yeah, I hope they don't get annoyed that a third person is going to blow this movie because this is an absolute blast from beginning to end. I almost compare it to something like a From Dusk Till Dawn where you start out where it's like this kind of almost crime caper where you pick up you pick up things in the middle of a robbery or an armed robbery, robbery an armed <laughs> robbery, obviously. And there's already so many dynamics going on with just that once the kind of getaway car ride is going on and you're learning little bits and pieces about the background of the characters. It's such a good uh, way to do that too, because obviously they're driving away. They got a long drive. So there's plenty of time for dialogue and stuff. And then, um, you know, they, they start to encounter stuff at the tavern and they run into the witches and things just escalate. And, it almost in in that sense, it almost kind of reminded me. You remember a cure for wellness, where it starts out as like this smaller scale, like oh, you're coming to this place to do this uh, little experimental treatment, and by the time you get to the third act, the curtain's just been pulled back on this vast situation going on that's so much bigger than yeah. what you thought was going to happen. Like I thought they were. This wasn't my first time watched, so it's the first time I watched it. Um, I thought, okay, they're going to end up at the house of the of this family of witches, and it's going to be basically like you know a confrontation and the showdown with them. And I thought that would be the um, the end of it, which would have been perfectly fine because the, all the characters at that point I had a blast with, regardless of whether they were the witches or the criminals. But then things just keep escalating. And escalating, and then it's like Temple of Doom going on at the in the caves, <laughs> and uh, all this rituals going on, and then we get like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Witch Woman almost <laughs> <laughs> to cap things off, and that and that was just amazing, and it looked really good for I'm sure you know whatever the budget was, uh, I thought the design of it was great, and it was executed really well, and. Man, this this movie, I was, I was a little afraid, like, on this, you know, second watch, that it might not hold up. Because every once in a while, you get a movie where the first time you watch it, it's fun. But yeah. then rewatches, you start. You either, yeah, mother you either don't like everything that leads up to it, or um, the fun's just not as fun the second time around. But no, this one held up. It It's still a, a fun ride from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it, it's like like you said, Venom. This is like the polar opposite witch 
type of yeah. witch stuff than Season of the Witch. I'm actually glad I paired these. I only paired these because these are two witch movies that I enjoy that aren't really discussed that often. But after watching them back to back, they're actually a perfect pair because they are the complete antithesis of the other. Like I said, one is a, a dramatic character study. The other one is just a balls-to-the-walls action comedy, just crazy shit, um, you know, finale. And this finale, there, there's a scene in this movie that has – they got to have like 300 to 500 extras in this scene. It, it puts Spartacus to shame. I mean – and this is not a CG shot. Literally, they filled a cave of all these women – um, you know, basically acting like witches and cheering as the main witch is up on the pedestal speaking and, you know, basically doing the incantation to waken the mother. And then when the mother walks in, holy shit. Okay. Admittedly, <laughs> admittedly, you know, it, it's 10 year old CGI. It's not going to be the greatest looking thing, but because the movie does so much other stuff right I'm I'm very okay forgiving for forgiving any lack of CGI prowess this movie has. Specifically when we first are introduced, basically when we get the first confirmation that there actually are witches. Uh there's a scene where they kind of jump up on the walls and kind of, you know, crab walk across the walls. <laughs> Admittedly that doesn't look great, but you know what? It's a horror comedy, so it still fits. Like it, it, you know, because I look at it and I chuckle, it makes me laugh. So the fact that, you know, they kind of are intentionally going for comedy in other scenes, I tend to forgive the silly CGI. The mother, I think, actually looks great. For 2013, that is a great giant creature. Um, it didn't have a lot of, like, um, eliasing in the background with, you know, like when, C when you put CG over actual film scenes, there could be some breaks in color and lighting. Like, I think they did a really good job with this. Um for the time period and for the budget, as Mike said, I'm not sure what the budget on this was, but I can't imagine it was more than one or two million at the most. Um, I'll look it up as we kind of talk. But um, yeah, this movie, so much fun. So many things that they do right. The comedy, the characters, um, just, you know, out of the frying pan into the fire type situations that occur multiple times in this movie. And then we even get a little bit of a romance that's not insipid, as most romances and horror films are. As anyone who's listened to my stuff knows, I hate forced romances in movies. This one, it actually starts out kind of comedic where two guys are kind of fighting for Ava's attention. But once it's obvious that Ava is interested in Jose more than the other guy, it still never gets sappy or disgusting or sugary or anything. You know, it's still very grounded in reality. Um, you know, despite Jose being very aware of the fact that he could die, he still doesn't give Ava the answers that she wants necessarily. Like when, you know, after Ava falls in love with her, with him, she kind of gives him the ultimatum of, well, it's either me or nobody, you know, it's, it's either me or your son. And Jose does a really, really good job of being diplomatic and saying, listen, you have my heart, but this is my son. He'll always be my son, blah, blah, blah. You know, you, you get the kind of warm hearted moment. But like I said, it's a warm hearted moment that doesn't make you sick or at least make me sick like a lot of these types of scenes do. So really good job with the romance, really good job with the uh, all the effects, the storyline. 
And then we get kind of a final scene epitaph to the whole thing, which is a little bit of a head scratcher because we've got all the heroes of the film, or at least all the ones that survived, including the guy that's already had what all of his fingers eaten, part of his neck, part of his belly. Like this guy has been slowly, he's been eaten um, by the witches like slowly throughout the film to the point where by the end of the movie, he's only like three quarters of a man but he's still there smiling and, you know, because he survived. Uh, but the whole point is that they're the final scene is at a school play. It's actually um, Antonio's school play. Antonio, of course, is uh, Jose's son, the little kid in the film. But when we look out into the audience, we see everybody, we see all the good guys. And then, but then we see all the surviving bad witches too. And th they're almost talking like it's kind of a case of Rasa situation. Like, well, they won today, you know, they, they won today, but, uh, you know, we'll be back and, you know, we'll, we'll get them somehow, blah, blah, blah. And literally it just ends, the movie ends with all of them in a theater applauding Antonio's school play where he's, or it's more of a talent show than school play, excuse me, because Antonio is doing the uh, uh, cut a girl in half, uh, the old classic trick there. Saw a woman in half, I guess. Um, so it's like, despite all of this hatred and anger and viscera throughout the film, we still get this almost Muppet-like ending that's still, to me, very satisfying. So, yeah. you know, even though it's a little silly and wacky to some people, maybe even infuriating to some people... I fucking love it. I it just sitting there seeing all the uh, basically every survivor, good or bad in the theater, enjoying this talent show. I don't know. It tickles me. It left me with a warm feeling. And um, it, it's just one of the many, many positive things that I say about this movie. Like I said, there, there's very little negative I can say about this. Uh, it's it's an absolute treat. It's a joy. To, to sit through. Um, obviously, it is uh, from Spain, so you're dealing with subtitles if you watch it in America uh, or anywhere else that you want to watch it in English. I'm not sure if there actually is an English track. Uh, my DVD does not have one. It just has the Spanish track with uh, subtitles. But So be prepared for subtitles, but... I can't recommend this movie enough. I, I think this is so much fun. I think this is a great Halloween movie. The movie is not set on Halloween. It has nothing to do with the holiday whatsoever. But well, at this least it doesn't movie, lie to us like the other movie did. Oh, well, yeah, there's that, too. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, this is a movie to be watched with friends. This is, like, this is the kind of movie that back when I was 14, 15, on Halloween night with, like, five or six of my friends in my basement eating our Halloween candy from the evening, watching Friday the 13th Part 2 or whatever, this is the kind of movie that I think is perfect for that situation. It's fun. It's funny. It's gory. It's even moderately tense at times. There's one one or two scenes, you know, with, with some decent tension, great atmosphere, uh, the location, the house where the majority of the second and third act take place is really cool. Just an old Victorian mansion with lots of winding hallways. I mean, folks, if, if it's not obvious by this point, I could talk about this movie positively for like another hour. So I'm going to shut up and let Derek and Mike say uh, whatever else they want to say about the film. But yeah. I absolutely adore this film. I, I can't say enough good things about it. I like it. <laughs> it's good. It's fun. It has rewatchability. I agree. It makes for a good Halloween. If you're the type of person where on 
Halloween itself, you just want fun, uh, this can easily be a part of your lineup. Yep. Just as fun as like a trick or treat, you know, or a creep show, you know, whatever the standard Halloween watches are. Um, I think it's just as fun as any of those. And, you know, it's, it's newer. I mean, it's 2013, it's eight years old at this point, but I would imagine most American horror fans aren't aware of this one. So if you are one of those, hopefully we haven't told you too much about the film. Um, but I, I say it's still worth watching. Even if you sat through our review and you've never seen it, check it out. It's not an easy film to find. If you have a direct TV subscription, as in their cable service, uh, it is available as a free VOD there, but pretty much all other options are going to involve, uh, you know, a rental fee of some kind. I think three ninety nine was the cheapest I was able to find. Luckily I have, yeah. yeah, luckily I have the Blu-ray. I literally just bought it last month too. Not, even thinking about the fact I might want to review it, but I'm very glad I did. Like I said, it was close to $30. It's not a cheap Blu-ray. I'm not sure if they just didn't make a lot of them because there's not really it's a lot a of diabolic DVD exclusive. Oh, that makes sense then. Yeah. Cause I mean, th- there's a few features on it, but it's not like jam packed or anything. Yeah. So, but uh, well worth every penny in my opinion. I mean, for me, an annual watch pretty much for the rest of my life. Absolutely love it. Hell yeah. All right, folks. Uh, Mike, anything else we want to kind of talk about here on our final episode before Halloween, which the listeners will be listening to after Halloween? <laughs> yeah, I hope the listeners gave out good candy for Halloween. Yeah, <laughs> full size bars with razor blades in them. <laughs> fun, size, fun size is only fun if you're five years old. So full yeah, size or the the fake stories every year. Of, oh, they're giving out edibles i'm like no one's wasting their edibles on kids stop it be like stop the old guy stupid night of the demons and give out apples <laughs> or razor blades goofball <laughs> yeah don't don't take fresh fruit either yeah that, that's just a good rule of thumb in general razor blades are not halloween ain't for fruit <laughs> where'd you make this apple pie from <laughs> all right mike what do you say yeah so uh, that's no more room in hell number 39. Thanks everyone for listening. Before we get out of here, let's find out where else people can be heard. So Venom will go oh, to you God. first. I don't dead. know. I, I have podcasts. Uh, that's what I heard. Can you confirm or not? <laughs> um, I'm nine beers deep now, guys. You're, you're killing me. <laughs> yeah, let's just skip it this time. Mike. Let's we just know. say if you put every dark discussions podcast on a poster and you throw a dart at it it's 50 50 i'll be on that show so yeah there you- <laughs> and i have nothing new out recently so there is that since the last time uh, okay and as far as i go the only thing outside of my normal stuff i did uh, since we last recorded, I believe, is that the guest appearance on, yeah, plenty of those. Um, but I also did a guest appearance on Friday Night Nightmares with Scott and Heather. We did a, uh, it was top five movies you want to watch on Halloween itself. And I believe the way it works with their show is it, it was like released to Patreon first, but I saw that they posted it um today so i think it must go to patreon for like a certain amount of time and then after that it goes out to everyone 
for a month. Okay. Oh yeah, so that is available. dollars. (laughs) Yeah, or just pay the Patreon and get the early access. Um, That's it. So. Damn, yeah. Michael. I know. I was just, I was backing you up in your statement. I'm going to fucking um, kill you one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long drive just to do that. I'll it, do it. It might not be Michael, worth the Michael, time. Michael, Michael did it in Halloween water. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been shot six times and it didn't work. So, <laughs> um, yeah. But with that said, yeah, we're going to get out of here. Um, I guess instead of wishing everyone a happy Halloween, we'll say I hope you had a happy Halloween. Yep. And, hope you uh, still got some not, candy left. And uh, yeah, if get not, ready tell for us all about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Make sure you stay um, away from those big-titted fertility statues because they're oh, fucking Jesus, yeah. giant women trying to eat you and shit you out, and then you throw up green <laughs> shit. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, with that said, yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We're going to get out of here. Let's say bye to the listeners. Bye. Happy Halloween 2022. And Willis Willis says, goodbye, everybody. I'm going to fucking kill you all, Mike. I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> Peace. Thanks, Willis. Look out my window Many sights to see And when I look in my window So many different people to be That it's strange So strange You got to pick up every stitch you got to pick up every stitch you got to pick up every stitch mm-hmm. must be the season of the week